I don't think that we are meant to study the Bible. Mm. And uh, boy, I, I'll be surprised <laughs> if I don't take a lot of flack on this one. Hi, I'm Rayburn Johnson. And I'm Steve Sensenick. And this is Beyond the Box. Here's your invitation to explore life outside the box of institutional religion. This is a place where there are no walls to restrict our search for truth as we embrace the ambiguity of defining our life in Christ. So unbuckle your seatbelt, recline your chair, throw caution to the wind, and get ready for the ride that is Beyond the the Box. My man, it has been a while since you and I have had a chance to sit down and talk. How are you? Oh my goodness, it's been forever. And you know, the last time that we recorded a podcast, Steve, uh-oh. uh oh, I was. Gosh, it has been a long time ago because I was still living in North Carolina when that happened. You were. How long have you been in uh, Tennessee now? I've been in Tennessee for over three months now. Oh my goodness, are you serious? Can you believe that? So I mean, like, Holy it's been. Cow. It's probably been that long since we've recorded together. Yeah, I don't... Uh, what was the last episode we did together? Uh, <laughs> I can't even remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. I cannot even remember what we talked about. I know, I know. I it, It's just nuts how fast the times went. It, um, yeah. We've got to do this more often. We do, we do. And and this is, uh, this is so weird because, yeah, you and I are, are in... Two very different places physically, geographically, than we've ever been on our podcast, because you're now in Nashville, and or Nashville area, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, right outside of Nashville. And I'm right outside of Bristol, Tennessee right now, which we haven't broadcast. Well, I used to live in Bristol, Virginia. It's not too far, but uh, we haven't done any episodes with you in that location and me in this location, so this is kind of unique for us. Well, and what's really cool about this, Steve, is, uh, you know, today we've talked about we're going to kind of do a overview of the changes that have occurred <laughs> in in our understanding and thinking and theology <laughs> in the right. last several years. And as you and I were talking, Dwight Pond had kind of asked us, had given the impetus for this episode, and we both went, wow, this is what a just such a great idea. Yeah. And what was so cool about it is as you and I were just talking, mm-hmm. we realized that we're only a week away from this podcast being five years old. Five We've been doing this years. for five years. My goodness. That's crazy. That is nuts. I, it, it honestly doesn't feel like it's been that long, and yet in some ways it feels like we've been podcasting for most of our adult lives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. It's like, yeah, it dep- one day it feels like it was yesterday, and yeah. another day it's like, when were we not doing this? <laughs> you know, I, I wonder, Ray, if there's anybody listening today who's been with us the whole five years. Because, you know, uh, you and I mentioned right before we started recording that we had some friends of the podcast when we first started that we would give shout-outs to and talk to online and everything. And that crowd has sort of moved on a little bit. Um, not for any negative reasons or whatever. It's just life gets in the way. Um, 
and we have a, a whole slew of people listening now who have just come on in the last couple years, maybe. Uh, I wonder if anybody out there has been with us the whole five years, and if so, congratulations. <laughs> I, I'm going to say I'm going to I'm going to venture a guess here, uh-huh. and I'm going to say that the longest uh, tenured <laughs> beyond the box listener, if I had to guess at this point. Uh-huh. I'm going to throw her name out here. Heather Spade Sterling. Oh, yes. I'm going to say she's probably been with us longer than just about anybody because yes. there used to be a lot of people in the first year or two of the podcast. Yep. There were a lot of people, like you said, that that we listened, that listened to us on a regular basis and that mm-hmm. we would dialogue with on a regular basis and we'd give shout outs to them. And we were just talking. We, we couldn't think of any of those people who we've heard anything from in quite some time. Right. But as we were just talking, I thought, well, yep. Heather, she's been with us probably for, I would guess she's been with us for four out of the five years anyway. Yeah, I think Heather was one of the ones that found us through the uh, Free Believers Network. I think you might be right. Heather, yeah. you're, you're going to have to correct all yeah, of our exactly. assumptions here. Well, And I'll tell you this, Ray, I'm pretty sure you're friends with Heather on Facebook, too. The pictures yeah. that Heather posts from her house in Alaska are just phenomenal. Well, you know, we keep talking about doing a beyond-the-box convention. Yeah. And um, I'm thinking summers in Alaska <laughs> probably get about they're they're probably as beautiful as anywhere on planet Earth. Yeah. Hint, hint. Um, <laughs> go ahead, Heather. You can start organizing that. We'll, we'll be only up. problem is it'll be uh, us and her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and the the wild animals outside her front door. It, it's not the most central of locations. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> no. Uh, in fact, another listener just invited us to something uh, up in Virginia Beach. I don't know if you saw that, Ray. Um, the first weekend of August. Yeah, unfortunately, Steve's actually Steve Hansen is actually a um, somebody I met at Wild Goose and got to spend some time oh, with. Okay, and the, the coolest thing, Steve, uh, uh, not Steve Hansen, but Steve Sensenig. <laughs> the coolest thing, Steve Sensenig, is when um, when I was at Wild Goose and they were doing the preview of Hellbound. It was the first showing of. Hellbound. Oh yeah, that's right. You got to see. That. We were there till like one o'clock in the morning. And it was like really low lights, and I was talking to somebody, mm-hmm. and Steve Hansen came up, and he said, you're Ray from Beyond the Box, aren't you? And I went, <laughs> I went, what the heck? What are you talking about? Because it kind of freaked me out. I was like, yeah. how did you know that? Yeah. And uh, he said, I would know that voice anywhere. Oh, that's awesome, man. <laughs> so Steve was really cool. We got to hang out with him some. and Cool. Really cool guy. Yeah, they're hosting, I guess, hosting an event up in Virginia Beach, and they invited us up there. Unfortunately, I'm playing for a show this summer and i've got a performance that day uh and virginia beach is a good probably seven hour drive from here so uh you know it's it's interesting right uh christy and i and the kids are living in this motor home and i honestly thought when we moved into the motor home that it meant anywhere i wanted to go in the country you know i could be there in a week or two if i needed to be and it just hasn't worked out that way (laughs) Yeah, sure, sure. But, you know, I tied myself down to working here for the summer at the theater that I used to work at. And uh, it's it's fun. I'm playing for shows, you know, playing for their production of Les Miserables. And uh, we're having a good time. Uh, having, you know, four shows a week is not a big stretch for me. So I feel a lot more relaxed than I did when I was working full-time in that job, for sure. No doubt. It's nice to not be where the buck stops, huh? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I just especially show up, at, play, collect my paycheck, and leave. <laughs> especially at one o'clock the in the afternoon, the the day before the performance, and yeah. somebody gets sick, and you've uh-huh. got to change all of your arrangements and oh, change keys for everything. And I'm sure that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's I I don't miss too much about that job. I, I miss 
some of it, but uh, it was definitely the right decision to step out of that job. Uh, and you know, it's kind of funny because you know we're talking about starting this podcast five years ago. When we started this podcast, it was right right before I moved to Abingdon to start working at that theater. So we're kind of bookending my career there <laughs> with the, yeah, our yeah. first episode and now our five-year episode. Um, yeah, a lot has happened in the last five years, Ray, for sure, from when we started this podcast. Well, and we both, when we started the podcast, uh, I didn't have any kids, and you had Dylan. That's and now right. between the two of us, we have four kids. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So it's pretty crazy just in the just in the natural realm of things. And yep. I think a lot of that as we're talk as we're gonna talk through the podcast tonight about mm-hmm. the things that have changed for both you and I. Yeah. I think the influence of our children has had a huge impact on helping us re understand God. Yes. Re understand the different things we talk about on the podcast and yep. just give us a whole new fresh perspective on things that we didn't have five years ago. Absolutely. I, I started to feel that a little bit when Christy and I got married nine years ago and uh, I inherited Dylan through that deal and adopted him as my son. Um, Buy one, get one free. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they were yeah. having on uh, on eHarmony. On eHarmony, that that's weekend, right. I got the buy one, that, get one free That deal. weekend it was <laughs> a buy one, get one free. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the BOGO deal on eHarmony. The BOGO deal. Yeah. I, uh, but, uh, you know, I started to, at that point when I became Dylan's dad, uh, started to, to understand God in a different light. But it really, for some reason, it took adopting Hannah to, uh, to really just light a fire under me in terms of understanding God as our father. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it, something about, you know, Dylan was 10 when I first met him. And so even though he was still a child, he, he was already, you know, past a lot of the early stages of things. And, and with Hannah, she came into our life when she was uh, 18 months old. And uh, actually, I guess technically she was living with us when we started the podcast, but we had not officially adopted her yet. Um, her- no, I don't think she was even living with you because you and Dylan used to come over and uh, and hang out in the bedroom. And we would record like three episodes at a time in my back bedroom. Yeah. It was actually before you had even moved was to it? Abingdon. Yeah, but she she got placed with us right before we moved to Abingdon. It, uh, she got placed with us in March of that year of 2008. Her adoption okay. wasn't final till August of 2008. Okay. But yeah, you're I'm right. I'm all my details. Yeah, no, stuff, no, yeah. it's all right. It's understandable. We've slept since then. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, she, she was quite young at the time. And so, you know, we got to see so much more of the the developmental uh, stages of a young child that I had never experienced as a parent before. And, and that just really helped me understand God as father, a, hmm. a great deal better. And, uh, and I think you're right, Ray. I think that that parenting young children, because your boys were, were both quite young when they came to you as well. Uh, that, that has really had a significant impact on a lot of my theology, even just some of the minor points, you know, but it certainly has changed a lot for me as I have looked at life through the lens of of a parent and a parent of a young child, a parent of a child who needs me. And also, and I know you've experienced this too, because we've adopted our kids, uh, a parent who chose a child to be in their family yeah, uh, is, yeah. is very significant for me theologically. Yeah, yeah. It's... It, I tell you, I'm completely with you, Steve, for all of the obvious reasons, it's changed my thinking. But like you said, even on a deeper level, 
Mm-hmm. Just the everyday little things I think about God. I used to think that God was more idiosyncratic, you know, that he was more meticulous and concerned with the little details. And, you know, when you have a child, we've, we've got we've got two little boys that are very, very close to close together, only less than a year apart. Wow. Yeah. And, um, they're, they're both preschoolers now. And so mm. our lives are extremely busy Yeah, <laughs> and especially my wife's <laughs> right. and, um, the, the thing that I've realized, I was just even thinking about this today is how it's the, the little details just don't seem to matter. Mm. You're concerned with getting through the day. Mm-hmm. A you're, you're concerned with survival. Right. A. <laughs> But then B, you realize that the little things in your kids' lives, the the times that they're peeing on the floor and they're pooping in their pants right. and they're, you know, hitting each other and fighting over toys and that at the end of the day, those things can be really annoying, but they don't touch anything you feel for that child. Right. They they don't touch anything that you would do for that child. Yeah. They they have absolutely no uh, no impact on your love for the child, and I know all these things are obvious, but mm-hmm. I think one of the things that it's really um, struck me deeply with is this idea that the details are God. God is just not as into dotting his eyes and crossing his t's, right? As sometimes we like to present him, I think he's a little more fluid. Wow, that's a great point, Ray, and and definitely echoes a lot of what I've been feeling over the last uh, year, especially, um, but certainly over the five-year trajectory of this podcast. Um, there, There's such, uh, like, I see so many conversations on Facebook, and uh, when I was real active in the blog world, I saw this take place on blogs all the time, too. People getting real hung up on minutiae. And, mm, and getting mm. real hung up on little details. And, uh, you know, like, I'll, I'll give you an example that came to my mind the other day. There's been uh, some discussion online about the the need to to either understand for yourself and learn for yourself the original languages or to uh, take input from those who study the original languages. And I, I remember in seminary, Ray, learning Greek. And I, I loved learning Greek. It was a lot of fun. I did not enjoy learning Hebrew. I I actually failed out of my first semester of Hebrew and never went back. But uh, Greek was a lot of fun to learn, and, and I enjoyed learning it. But I look back now on some of the things that really excited me when I was learning the Greek language. And uh, I'll give you an example that just came to my mind the other day. Uh, it's one that I used to always give as an example when we talk about uh, how some nuances in the original languages sometimes don't carry over to English. It's in John 4 uh, where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And he says to her, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, yeah, you're right, uh, because you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And we kind of get the gist of that story. But uh, I remember learning in Greek about word order and how when you change word order in Greek, it it's like us emphasizing a word in English, you know, how we speak right. out loud or if we bold a word when we're typing. And in that case, she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right, a husband you don't have. And he swaps the, the words, you know? And, um, so anyways, you know, he's kind of making a little bit of a play on words, almost, uh, drawing attention to the, the singularity of the article. But anyway, I, I thought about that the other day and I'm like, yeah, I used to have so much fun looking at that kind of stuff. 
And then I think, is that really what matters? Mm, mm, because mm. is is that the importance of the story? Like, does an English reader actually lose that? I mean, they, mm. they don't get the nuance that's in the Greek, but is that anything significant to worry about, you know? Well, you, you know, I, it's like I was saying a minute ago, I'm... I'm, I'm backpedaling and stepping forward at the same time <laughs> in that, in that, um, when I say that God's not concerned with the minutia mm-hmm. and that he's not as meticulous as sometimes we thought, I think it's a both and thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, it's like, um, God cares about the details. Just like when I'm brushing my kid's teeth at night, right. I want to make sure I get those gums really good. Right. Because the dentist talks about that and I want to make sure I get those back teeth really good mm-hmm. and, but at the end of the day, I, I focus on those back teeth for like 30 seconds. Right. Out of a 24-hour day. Right. And I feel like some people are focusing on the back teeth 24 hours <laughs> yeah. in a day. Yeah. And it's like, it's not that it's completely unimportant. Mm-hmm. It's just that I think for you and I, as we've, and here's another one of the things that I, that have has been a huge um, paradigm shift for both you and I mm-hmm. is our understanding of Scripture. Yeah. At the end of the day, as our understanding of what the role of Scripture is, or even what the nature of Scripture is, mm-hmm. as that's changed, mm-hmm. it's changed that that emphasis. Not to say that God is not meticulous in the sense of getting things right and caring, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day. He's not concerned about specks in our eye and letting right. two befores hang out of the yes, other eye. Exactly. No, I, I think you're, you make a really good point, and, and I think you're tying it into our view of Scripture and our understanding of Scripture is is very well said. I, I would say that's probably one of the significant things that has shifted dramatically for me over the five years that we've been doing this, broad, this podcast. Uh, in fact, some of our very early episodes were... Uh, the B-I-B-L-E, we talked to him about... Our second and third episode. It was the second and third. I knew it was very yep. early on, yeah. Yeah, we talked about what is the box, and then we jumped right into Scripture. And uh, I, I have to confess, Ray, I haven't listened to those episodes in a long time, so I don't remember exactly what all we said about them. But I do remember talking about the need to not make Scripture the destination, yeah, but yeah. to make it the map. And yeah. And I think that has just become more and more significant for me uh in in the past few years that that i i see scriptures so much more in the sense of jesus saying you search the scriptures thinking that in them is life but they point to me yeah and and that it's so weird because i always i try to think well what do i really believe about scripture and some of the things that come into my mind that i believe about scripture i still hesitate to say out loud on this podcast. Yeah. But, with you. but I, I just, I really, I wonder if sometimes we strain so much at trying to figure out even what the scripture says that we, and, and let me, you know, I'm going to be with, with you on this. I, I'm going to keep backpedaling and moving forward in this conversation. Because, <laughs> I think, I think this is going to be one of those podcasts. Yeah. This, we're we're going to have to pull disclaimer dude out of the closet. Oh here. my goodness. I forgot about disclaimer dude. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, disclaimer dude. That's has another to, blast from the past for all you new listeners. He's got to put his cape on and, and be ready to swoop in at any moment tonight. <laughs> um, I I do not believe Ray in approaching theology and scripture anti intellectually. Yeah, and I want to say yeah. that very clearly because right now there's 
there's a tendency for people to take one or the other extreme to either mm. focus strongly on the intellectual approach or to disregard completely any kind of study and learning and say, well, I just feel what the spirit told me to feel. Right. And, right. and I, I think that there's a healthy balance somewhere in the middle of that. So I don't, I don't want anything that I say about scripture to be perceived as being anti-intellectual because I am not anti-intellectual, but I don't believe that I should be spending all of my time, me personally speaking for myself, studying scripture so much that I get lost in the details of that versus living the theology out. Yeah. In the yeah. World. I, I'm with you. I don't think it's an either or, mm-hmm. but um, I think if you have to pick, <laughs> <laughs> there, there is there is something about action that seems to speak louder than words. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, and I think that Jesus bore that out. I mean, you know, did did he know the scriptures? Did he did he teach? You know, and and refine people's understanding of the scriptures? Yes, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day. He did a lot of he did a lot of overturning people's understanding, yeah. not as much by his words as by his actions. Yeah, yeah, you know. And I and I, I think that that's the that's the thing. It's kind of like, you know, I, I'm not a big uh, guy that likes to quote James very often. <laughs> <laughs> me, me and James aren't best buds or anything, right? But um, you know, it's like James did say, you know, faith without works is dead. I right. mean, there is. There, you know, if you show me your faith uh, without your works, and I'll mm-hmm. show you my faith by my works. You right. Know? I mean, there there is a sense in which actions do speak louder than words. You know. Well, and I, I keep coming back to, to to the words of Jesus that they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another, and yeah. and yeah. that that to me I think is significant. And one of the things that I have felt has been lacking severely in especially institutional Christianity, um, but but even more uh, to the point in my life has been lacking in conservative evangelical Christianity has been uh, showing love to one another. I think that's been severely lacking and, and not even, I mean, we don't show love to the world, which I I think we should do, but we don't even show love to other believers, you know? And so you end up with, I think that's a big part of of why we have so many divisions in the body of Christ. I, you know, I've often heard people say, and I've said it myself too many times, that <clears throat> we have so many denominations and so many schisms and and splits in in the church because of various interpretations of Scripture. I'm not even sure that it's really about various interpretations of Scripture. I think it's just a lack of love for one another. Yeah, yeah. I, well, and you know, and at the end of the day. I don't know if it's because of various interpretations of the scripture mm-hmm. as much as it is the exact same approach to the scripture bore out in different ways. Yes. And what I mean by that is, you know, it, it's like it, if you look at the at the ultra liberal and the ultra conservative and their approaches to the Bible, mm-hmm. it's really a singular approach. Yeah. They're both approaching it in this um, hyper literal fashion where the conservative says you have to believe everything it says because God said it. Right. And the liberal approaches it in the, the ultra liberal approaches it in the exact same way to discount it and say, no, you can't wax allegorical here or, right. or you can't interpret this as a metaphor here. 
because you either have to take it all or nothing. I mean, right. at the end of the day, if you if you were to put you know uh, an ultra conservative pastor right beside of Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens, yeah. really they're saying the same thing. I yeah. mean, they they both have this hyper literal hyper. Um, you know, you got to take an all or nothing approach, mm-hmm. one to discount the faith, one to accredit the faith. Yeah. And I think they're both, they're both missing it. I mean, yeah. I'll tell you the picture that comes to mind that I've been thinking about for a while, Steve, is I, I remember all those years ago, um, the illustration that I thought of was someone sitting with a map and they get to Disney world, they mm-hmm. follow the map. Mm-hmm. And they get to Disney World, and instead of going in Disney World and enjoying the rides, they sit down on the park bench and continue to study the map. Right. Well, lately I've just thought about this other illustration that I think might even kind of refine the the idea better of what you and I are getting at. It's kind of like, um, have you ever seen one of those paintings in a gallery that you, you can't really appreciate it unless you stand like 20 or 30 feet back from it? Right, uh-huh. You have to stand back to kind of take the whole thing take in. Take it all in, yeah. And if you were to go six inches from it, mm-hmm. you don't get the picture at all. Mm-hmm. You get this really uh, blurry vision of what that artist was doing. You only get this one small picture that's really messed up and it doesn't seem at all intelligible or you can't make any sense out of it. But mm-hmm. the more you back away from it, it's like the, the, the more clear yeah. the picture comes into view. Yeah. And I think in some ways that's the way scripture is. I I find a lot of people, and I have been one of these, mm-hmm. that instead of standing back 20 or 30 feet from that and admiring what it is for what it is as a whole, right. I'm one of the ones that is that's grabbed the magnifying glass and went all Sherlock Holmes on it and <laughs> gotten six inches from the canvas yeah. and tried to tried to tease out what the picture is supposed to be from that small six inch sample in front of my magnifying glass. Right. And it's not that there's anything necessarily wrong with studying that one piece of canvas and really appreciating it for what it is, Mm -hmm. but you don't really get as much out of it as if you step back and take the, and take the whole thing into full view instead of all these individual parts. I think it's a terrific analogy and that, that definitely speaks to, what my current view of scripture is because one of the things that, and I know you've noticed this too, Ray, is, uh, like, for example, we'll take, uh, eternal conscious torment versus annihilation versus, uh, ultimate reconciliation. The honest person will be willing to admit that there are verses of scripture that seem to support each of those views. Yeah. That every one of those views has proof texts. Mm-hmm. So, that tells us right there that there's probably a problem with the notion that we can proof text everything, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, should. <laughs> and so, yeah, it should. So to me, it's like, okay, well then let's, like you said, step 20, 30 feet back. Let's look at the big picture. Which one fits the big picture mm. better? Mm. You know, Rob Bell said it this way. What I think Rob Bell was the one that said, what, what's the best ending to the story? Yeah. In, yeah. in talking about that particular subject of, of eternity. But but regardless of whether we're talking about eternity future or even talking about the past, like, for example, you know, talking about the God of the Old Testament and how we read some stuff in the Old Testament that just sounds horrific mm-hmm. and, you know, annihilating people and, and just wiping out entire nations and women and children and, you know, stuff that just doesn't really seem to match the 
the revelation of the Father through Jesus. And mm-hmm. so when I look at that, I go, okay, well, I can go to the Old Testament and I can pull out verses and say, well, this must be God because the Old Testament says it is. And, right. and so therefore, somehow I've got to juxtapose those two and make them fit. Mm. And anymore, I'm looking at Scripture going, it's not going to fit no matter how hard you try. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to, I don't think, and I've tried, <laughs> I don't think that there's any way to reconcile a deity instructing people to wipe out an entire nation mm-hmm. versus an incarnation of a deity who gives his own life for others. I, I tell you what I think it ends up doing, Steve, and uh, this isn't an original thought with me, but I think that what ends up happening is we actually stunt our moral growth because of the approach we have to Scripture. It's like mm-hmm. our natural inclination, our natural intuition would be to be completely repelled by any text that says it's okay to take 32,000 young girls who are virgins as sex slaves for your for your Israeli army. Right. We any text that says kill man, woman, child, infant and all the animals and then goes on to say that the Lord judged Saul because he wasn't he wasn't thorough, <laughs> thorough enough, enough in, his ethnic, exactly. in his ethnic cleansing. <laughs> right. He wasn't he wasn't quite thorough enough. Yeah. You know, any text that says these kinds of things, mm-hmm. any other text, and per, perfect example, the Quran. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. I, you can turn on evangelical radio, yep. and you will hear time and time again about the evils of the Quran yeah. and how it promotes violence and jihad and right. that it is a violent religion. Right. I just got done reading a book by a man named Philip Jenkins. Um, and I can't remember. Oh, Laying Down the Swords, the name of it. Okay. And he presents a case, and I think he's spot on. He presents a case to show that the Bible is actually much, much more violent than the Quran. Oh. And that the ironic thing is that when you when you look at the Quran, it gives all of these um all of these guidelines for war that basically say you're not to kill non combatants. You're to assimilate people that are willing to turn to your religion, hmm. you know, all these different things. Whereas, for instance, in the old in the Old Testament, you have the idea of harem, hmm. which is, uh, you know, it's the, it's where we get the word annihilate or destroy, mm-hmm. and it's it's those commands where God says, go in and kill every one of them. Don't, it doesn't matter if they right. repent or not. It doesn't matter if they want to flee, if they, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter if they're two years old. It doesn't matter. You're to kill every single one of them. It doesn't even matter if they're and, animals. Exactly. You just wipe and them here, all out, everything. Here's the irony here, is that when, when we read that text, mm-hmm. we have such an easy time looking at something like the Sudan and what's been going on there. Right. Or looking at um, the Holocaust. Right. And what happened there. Right. And recognizing the evils therein. But here's the irony. When you open a commentary or open a book to explain, for instance, 1 Samuel 15 about the Amalekite massacre where Mm -hmm. Saul's supposed to go in and wipe them all out at the command of the Lord. Mm -hmm. The explanations you will get are verbatim 
the exact same propaganda that the Nazis were using right. to excise the Jews from Europe. That's right. It, they talk about them as a cancer. Yeah, contamination on the yep. – yeah, that they were a cancer and mm. that just like just like a good surgeon will cut out the cancer to save the patient. That's right. So God was cutting <laughs> out the evil influences in the land of Canaan so that he could preserve the pure bloodline. Boy, does that sound mm-hmm. Nazi? Yeah. Does that sound like anti-Semitic or what? Exactly. To to preserve the, the pure bloodline. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, Steve, is we don't even – it's like we can say that. And in the same breath, condemn the Nazis. Right. Simply because we're separated from that passage by 2,500, 3,000 years. Mm -hmm. So it's like the more distance you get between you and them, the easier it is to vilify those people. Right. Because they're not really human in our eyes. Right. So it's almost like the Bible, if we're not careful, there's certain places of the Bible that can actually stunt our moral growth because we'll actually end up... Mm -hmm. Bowing the knee to the God of those passages, the right. God described in those passages, yep. and completely overriding the intuitions that God's put in us toward compassion, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. The, that inbuilt thing that tells us you know, that we're not supposed to hurt people, that we're not supposed to – you know, the, the things that you can justify mm-hmm. in the name of God, mm-hmm. the atrocities that have been justified in the name right. of God right. – are, t- are too numerous to be able yep. to name. So, I mean, I think that's one thing is we've talked about this whole thing with the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's like you and I are stepping back going, okay, if you look at the big picture, yeah. you can't, you can't take a, a passage here or there mm-hmm. that's completely out of sync with the whole trajectory of the text right? and place an emphasis on that and say, this is who God is. Exactly. And I I guess that's why I've really come to the conclusion, Ray, that like, for example, with regards to the Old Testament, I've the the only conclusion that works for me right now at this point in my journey is to say that somehow. The people in Old Testament times misunderstood what God wanted. They Mm -hmm. they either projected on God their own anticipation of what a deity would be like Mm -hmm. or they somehow in other ways missed the message. And to me, I see scripture as a great account of the history and the legacy of the people that went before us. Mm-hmm. I see it as uh, an overarching story of God's attempt to reconcile back with man when man turned his back on God. Hmm. Um, and so when I, you know, and we've talked about this many times before, you and I, but when I get to something like Hebrews 1, where it talks about the superiority of the revelation through Jesus as opposed to the revelation in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. then that, that tells me, okay, yeah, there must have been something missing in the Old Testament because otherwise there wouldn't be a need for a further revelation. If they understood God perfectly, then there wouldn't have been the need for the incarnation of Jesus. So, if they misunderstood, then how much of what is recorded in their history is through their eyes and therefore clouded by misunderstanding? Well, you, you know, I mean, there's so many examples where Jesus deconstructs the whole idea of the Old Testament vision of God. Or, mm-hmm. and, and let me correct that. 
I shouldn't say the Old Testament vision of God. There's a lot of different Old Testament well, visions yeah, of God. Exactly. I mean, the prophets seem to tell a big, a, a hugely different story than you know the writer of Deuteronomy, right? For instance, exactly. Yeah. You know, and and Job and Ecclesiastes sound totally different oh, than Proverbs. Goodness, yeah. You know. Yeah. But um, but the the interesting thing is, if you look at like you're talking about Hebrews one, if you look at like John, John chapter one, mm-hmm. and it says that no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten who's in the bosom of the Father has revealed Him. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about the the implications of what that's saying, it's right. basically saying that all of those people who claim to see God—Moses, Isaiah, right—you know, all all these different people, mm-hmm. Abraham—that mm-hmm. at the end of the day. They didn't really see him. Right. I mean, that's really the implication there. He's saying nobody has seen God at any time. Yeah. I mean, and then, then, you know, if you look at, um, I mean, there's, there's so many places you could go, but like, for instance, you we're talking about genocide. You look at like Joshua, Joshua's mm-hmm. told wipe out all the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. And so he goes into the land to wipe out the Canaanites. Well, lo and behold, the only record I can find anyway in the gospels of of Jesus running into a Canaanite, he heals the woman's daughter. Yeah, it's like, and, and the and the great thing about it is Jesus Jesus and Joshua have got the same name, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's like it's like G, it's like God sent Jesus as the new Joshua to say, yeah. okay, that one. Don't listen to that one. Yeah, he was Here's the real one. He wasn't when just he the second Adam. He was also the second. He Joshua. was the second Joshua <laughs> yeah. when he encounters when he encounters a Canaanite. He doesn't annihilate them. He right. doesn't that that woman's daughter's sick. He doesn't say kill the woman and the infant too. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. He says no. Heal the daughter and thereby heal the mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many examples that are it, like it's almost like the New Testament. Well, I think it did. I think intentionally, in a lot of cases, it subverted. Yeah. I mean, you've got what that guy during the time of Moses that was picking up sticks on the Sabbath and they stone him outside mm-hmm. the, well, and then lo and behold, Jesus and the disciples are walking through the fields, plucking heads of grain, yeah. you know, doing the same thing. Yep. They're gathering what, what's a necessity on the Sabbath day. Yeah. And Jesus says, get over it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, you know, and again, you can, you can pick verses, you know, almost at random and say, well, this doesn't line up. This doesn't line up. And sometimes I get a little bit frustrated in discussions where it becomes just a, a battle of trump card verses. You know, yeah. somebody will say, well, yeah, but, you know, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. So therefore, the law must still be good. Well, I, I think, Ray, when we reach those points where we say, well, this verse says this and this verse says something different. So how do we reconcile them? I think, again, I'll go back to my point earlier that you may not be able to reconcile those two things. And so maybe that indicates that we're asking the wrong question. Yeah. Like, what does it mean to fulfill the law and not abolish it? What, what was Jesus talking about when he said that? Because if he just meant that the law continues to stand, right? then, well, that's completely different from what we understand of the good news and completely different from what Paul talks about. So... Maybe maybe it's possible that Jesus meant something a little bit different. We what we do raise so often and, and we all do this, you and I do it too, although we try to be a little bit more honest with ourselves about it, is we we bring all these presuppositions to the table and we assume that we know what the passage says in the first place. Mm. And sometimes getting into the original language behind the text will reveal some more clarity. Sure. But sometimes it's not even about the original text. Sometimes it's just 
the statement might stand on its own, <laughs> but it just doesn't make sense in the context of the big picture. And so we well, have to say, what are we talking about here? Per- perfect example. You know, we're talking about these genocidal texts. Mm-hmm. Go back and study the Hebrew, and they're still as brutal. It is t- it's just as They're brutal. still right. just as heinous. They're yeah. still just as gory. They're still just as morally offensive. Right. So at the end of the day, we're left in the same position. But what if, I, and I'm just hypothesizing here and shooting from the hip, but what if God really was communicating with the Israelites at that time and he was giving them some instruction about the fact that they shouldn't adopt the practices and the religions and the other abominable things, if you want to say that, uh, from the Canaanites. And yet the Israelites, when they heard whatever it was that God communicated, and we know they weren't listening to him directly because they asked for a mediator. Uh, But maybe in translation, so to speak, to them, they heard it as, we need to kill them all. Well, and shoot, I, I even have to question whether or not Moses was hearing directly. Right. I mean, he's the guy that commanded the guy to be stoned for picking up some sticks on the Sabbath. You know? Yeah, I, I'm I mean, struggling with that one real that, – that's the spot I'm at in my journey right now is really questioning how much Moses heard directly and understood directly. I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, you and I are very much both in process on this. Sure. And uh, some of the things we say, we say – you know, quote unquote, in fear and trembling. Yeah. But, um, you know, I really am at the place where if, if we're going to look at the Bible as being what we actually, what, what even the most conservative evangelical will say it is, Mm -hmm. you know, a divinely inspired book that came through human mediators, Mm -hmm. you know, even I would imagine that even the most conservative evangelical, would be willing to admit that definition. They probably would play it out completely different. Yeah. And, you know, and as far like plenary inspiration, right. God just like, you know, yeah. breathes out the words and their, their pen, uh-huh. you know, does like a Ouija board. Exactly. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if you really take that serious, I think it's more like God didn't override our, you know, anybody's humanness. Mm hmm. And to be human, you know, to err is human. Right. I mean, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Jesus had to grow in wisdom and knowledge. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if we believe he's God in, in flesh, even even at that point, right. he, he had to grow in wisdom and knowledge. He didn't know it all. Yeah. So how much more mm-hmm. some guys that are broken vessels that aren't perfect and... And you know, more and more, it's like, for a long time, Steve, these kind of thoughts, after you and I began our relationship all those years ago, mm-hmm. I finally had somebody in my life who would give me permission to ask these kinds of questions. Right. And at the end of the day, still feel safe. Right. And so as I've done that over the years, at times feeling like I was hanging off the precipice, mm-hmm. I've still let those thoughts mull through my mind. Yeah. And as I've done that, I've become more and more comfortable with this idea that if some human authors, which, which I won't even say I'm comfortable with it. I'm, I'll say I'm convinced at this point <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that some human authors in the scriptures just flat got it wrong mm-hmm. and it's okay. Mm-hmm. 
Because if we will back away from that understanding of Scripture that focuses so much on the six inches of canvas off of a 12-foot canvas, right? instead of standing back and looking at the whole thing and saying, you know what, there were all of these... There's all of these happy accidents, some of them mm-hmm. not so happy, right. that came together <laughs> to make this whole. Mm-hmm. If we can stand back and appreciate the whole piece of art, yeah, then we don't notice some of the brush strokes that aren't perfect. Right. It becomes okay. Right. Because at the end of the day, even they are turned into something beautiful. Yeah. God didn't God didn't grab that artist's paintbrush and move his hand and make it ugly so that eventually he could turn it into something beautiful. Mm-hmm. But he took that ugly brush stroke and somehow squeezed it into the big picture, even though it wasn't his intention, even though it wasn't his dictation. Right. Even though whatever. Somehow and I think don't you think maybe that that's what inspiration even means? I as I've as I've thought about this, Derek Flood was saying something to me one day that really stuck out to me about inspiration. Mm -hmm. And he said, what if we just took that at the sense that we mean it in a every, in the same way that we mean it in an everyday conversation? Right. Right. If I say something inspires me to. Yeah. yeah. Like I go to, I go to one of your shows and I go, gosh, Steve, Mm -hmm. your, your piano playing was inspired. Mm -hmm. It was inspiring. However you want to say it. Right. I'm not saying that that doesn't mean you didn't hit a bad note every now and then. I'm saying that the trajectory of that piece right. was such that it moved me. Mm-hmm. And it made me sense something greater than myself, and it brought me in contact with the divine. Yeah, yeah. What if scripture is the same way? It's inspired as a whole, but there's no individual part that we can say, this is, in- this is, the- this is inspired. Well, but you put the whole together, and it is. It. <sighs> Yeah, I'm I'm with you totally, Ray. And I'm thinking as we talk about this, I, I this is a brand new thought for me right now. So I, I'm thinking this out loud. I haven't been able to sure. finesse this yet. You and I we're we're talking here about the fact that we've been podcasting for five years, and in those five years we have journeyed, mm-hmm. and there have been things that we have rethought and things that we have come to a new understanding of. I would dare say that not all of that is because we stumbled upon some new scripture verse that we hadn't seen before. Okay. It's, it was, it's a process of us growing in relationship with our father and a process of Mm. us learning to hear his voice better Mm. and to understand his character better. Why can the authors of scripture not be entitled to that same process? Wow. Wow. Mm. Like if that's part of their humanity, yeah. Why why is it not possible for Paul to actually write something later in his life that might be a little bit different than he wrote earlier on? Yeah. yeah. You know? So it's not it's not that it's invaluable, uh, I mean not valuable. <laughs> it's not that boy, why does invaluable mean more than valuable? Um, <laughs> invaluable can mean both can, can mean yeah. like completely diametrically opposed yeah. things that's like kind of ridiculous flammable <laughs> means something can burn and inflammable means it can can burn um <laughs> and that's not a commentary on hell either uh but you know i think if if we can if we can see scripture as a record of the journey that that humanity was on then it doesn't become see i i question ray whether maybe part of the problem is that god never desired for us to have a relationship with 
a written word from the past anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's like I've said before, I, I've been brave enough to at least go this far. I think I said it on the podcast once a long time ago. The Old Testament is a record, and at the time I said it, I thought the Old Testament was a record of the law that God gave. But maybe the New Testament was never meant to be a canonized set of writings for us to tote around and study. And you know what's ironic about you saying that, Steve, is we were saying the same thing a few years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. On the podcast, we were just saying it with a lot more fear and trembling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and I think I actually mean it a little bit differently now, too. I mean, I I think it's a – I've gone even farther in that direction Mm. that I I don't think that we are meant to study the Bible. Mm. And, uh, boy, I'll be surprised (laughs) if I don't take a lot of flack on this one. We, do, you, do you know how? Do you get, let me just throw a parenthetical thought here. I can't even you, come up with a disclaimer, dude. Statement. You for know, this one. <laughs> you know how at the front of our episodes, every now and then, we'll use an outtake. Uh huh. Yeah. That one is subject <laughs> to an outtake. That one is completely subject to an outtake. We're just going to start this episode, and it's going to say, "I don't even really think we should study the Bible anymore." That's right. Oh my gosh! I mean, I, I just, but you know, you know where I'm coming from, right? Because you've known yeah. me for a decade. I, oh, almost a decade. Um, the the whole notion of the creation in relationship with the Creator is in my opinion, way more mystical and mm. way more on a spirit level mm. than you can ever get from a text. Mm. And so, you know, when, when let, let's just use the, the story of Adam and Eve, and, and it, to me it really doesn't matter if you take it literally or not. The story's there, and it, and it means something regardless. In that story of Adam and Eve, when they sinned and separated themselves from God and hid from God, God didn't passively, aggressively write a note for them and pin it to a tree. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I, I, just, I am pissed off at you. Yeah. <laughs> Signed, God. Yes. <laughs> Clean up this garden and then get the hell out. Oh, it, it's... Uh, there's there's that that personal coming after them and speaking to them and saying Adam where are you mm-hmm. come out come out wherever you are you know mm-hmm. um, and I and the trajectory that I see in Scripture then is this continual like let's take the Israelites as an example he brings them out of Egypt we've talked about this before. He brings them out of Egypt, he brings them to the mountain, and he says, I want the whole nation to come up to the mountain and meet with me. Hmm. It wasn't God's idea to mediate through Moses. And it wasn't God's idea to have to write stuff on stone tablets to deliver to them. Hmm. He wanted to talk to them. He wanted to be in a relationship with them. Hmm. Individually and corporately, I think. But you know, certainly corporately in that entails the individual being involved. And so with Moses, then, we begin this written code. This, mm-hmm. this is what God told me. I'm going to write it down for you. And throughout the Old Testament, we have Israel forgetting about the law and then 
you know, Ezra and Nehemiah, they come along and they go, well, hey, let's, we found these old scrolls, let's read them. And they get together and they read it all day long, which incidentally as a tangent, I heard it preached one time that that's what our church services should be like all day long and reading the Bible. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was definitely a prescriptive passage of scripture there. Boy, that would keep them away in droves. Yeah, exactly. Not very seeker sensitive for sure. <laughs> uh, so if Israel had placed the focus then on the written law, and that was what they kept turning back to, mm. was mm. The, the letter, the law. I think that the bigger story that we're seeing, Ray, and I think this is what Paul was, was working through as he had to unhitch from all of the, the trappings of his Pharisaism, is what if we move away from the letter of the law? What if we move away from the written text and we really see this as a life journey? Mm. Mm. If we really see this as something that we live out in our spirit, because, again, you know, like I was saying earlier, I don't think that anti-intellectualism is the answer, and I don't think that that intense scrutiny of the text is the answer either. Because I think in both cases, we're asking the wrong question. Mm. When, when the intellectual hears the, the anti-intellectual say, well, I just believe this because I just believe it, that sounds foolish to the intellectual. Mm-hmm. When the anti-intellectual, and most people don't really claim to be anti-intellectual, but <laughs> when the anti-intellectual hears the intellectual say, well, we need to study this and find out exactly what it means, they go, I don't have time for that. That's not important to me. They're both dealing with the text, in a mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. And instead, I think we need to get our eyes off of that text and start to understand what does it really mean to live in the Spirit? What does it mean to, you know, I, I keep going back to, in my mind, to uh, the letter that we call First John, where he describes, I think, very beautifully the almost peer relationship, viral social networking aspect of relationship with God mm-hmm. by saying, I'm writing these things to you not so that you can study and analyze what I've written to you, but I'm writing these things to you so that you can enter into the same kind of non-written mm-hmm. relationship that we have with him. And you can come into the exact same fellowship with us and with him. That tells me you, you move beyond the letter at some point. You know, <clears throat> as you were talking, I was just thinking about, you know, the, you know, there's several passages where it talks about where, where it says the Lord says that, when Israel was a child, he took them by the hand and mm-hmm. led them out mm-hmm. so that it starts out with Israel as an infant, right? with infantile understandings yep. of God. And if you think about it, the script, the Old Testament, there's all sorts of polytheism in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all sorts of passages about the gods and where basically, you know, Yahweh seems to be one among many. Right. And he's and he goes from being, you know, a powerful tribal deity to being the head of the of the council of gods to finally right. this monotheism that finally where they where they get it, God is God. But mm-hmm. but it's like even in scripture you have all of this affirmation of polytheism. Yeah. 
There's all sorts of places where mm-hmm. it's affirmations of that. And what I'm saying by that is in the same way that you're talking about this growth, where mm-hmm. we should get to this growth of moving past that, it's in the same way that there should be a progression, I think of it kind of like with my kids mm-hmm. or maybe even myself when I was a child, you know, my parents bring, bringing me up mm-hmm. and teaching me little by little. And as I, as you were talking about the written communication and moving past that, I was reminded of like how in the fourth and fifth grade, sixth grade, uh, whenever I would have a girlfriend, <laughs> <laughs> a letter would be written yeah. that said, do you like, like me? Check yes check or yes, no. <laughs> no, or maybe. And then they would check yes, no, or maybe give it to their best friend. Yep. who would in turn give it to you <laughs> and you would open up. And if you were quote unquote dating, yep. that meant that you completely quit talking to each other during school hours uh-huh. <laughs> and you would only pass notes and you might talk on the phone. <laughs> yeah. But when you saw each other at school, you were too embarrassed to even talk to the other person. Right. What if what we've done with the scripture mm-hmm. is while that has a use mm-hmm. and I don't want to undermine the use that scripture has. Right. What if in some ways, at least some people are getting caught in the fourth and fifth grade mm-hmm. with checking yes, no, or maybe. Right. And never moving to a place of intimacy that doesn't require love letters to be passed back and forth. Well, why did I suddenly I have the impression in the image of my mind of someone coming down the uh, aisle at an invitation call and getting a card that says, do you accept Jesus? Yes, no, or right. maybe. <laughs> yes, no, or maybe. <laughs> hmm. I'm a skeptic. Let me put maybe and they'll take yeah, me exactly. in the counseling room and give me a few Josh McDowell books and then come back up and check yes. <laughs> yeah. Right? Not, not our friend Josh McDowell, the other oh, Josh McDowell. Oh, not that Josh McDowell. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I wonder. It's like I think yeah. to myself, my wife and I, uh, this year we'll be married for 17 years. Wow. and. I don't remember the last time I wrote her a love letter. Yeah. Now, does that mean I'm a bad guy that doesn't love his wife? No. It means that when I want to talk to her, I have absolutely zero shame right. in calling her at any point, in crawling in bed and, and talking until late late in the night or early mm-hmm. in the morning, mm-hmm. or turning off the TV and interrupting what she's doing to talk about something. It means I have absolutely no embarrassment, no shame to share myself completely with my wife. I don't need right. pen and ink to do it. Right. Now, I do text and, my wife from time to time. Yeah, and nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> I email my wife from time to time. <laughs> but, but, yeah. but the point is, yep. that is a form of communication that is acceptable, mm-hmm. but I think you and I are saying it's a lesser form of communication than what God actually intends us to get to. Well, and let me push the metaphor a little bit. We're joking about texting and emailing, but... We only do those things when we're not with our wives. Mm. Well, no, Say I do long. sometimes text her when I'm in the same room just to be funny. But, but, but uh, what you're saying? But it's yeah. funny because yeah. it's yeah. unusual. Because exactly, yeah, that's a great point. But when we're with our wives, we don't need to email them. We don't need to text them because mm. we can talk. And so I think that's that's kind of the point of the incarnation mm. is that God is now present with us. Mm. His Spirit resides with us. Wow. And Selah, whoa. Yeah, that just kind of fell into place there, didn't it? Wow. Which which really brings up all sorts of other issues that we've talked about, like prayer. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, when you're talking about this, it's like when you're in that robotic mode of the text says, therefore I must. Right. 
fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. You know, like all of the books that, and I, and I don't want to, when I say this, I want to say it with some sensitivity because I don't mean this to judge anybody or to diss anybody or to downplay somebody's spiritual walk. Right. But I just know like when I used to work at that Christian bookstore, there were a plethora of books mm-hmm. um, that came out on praying the word. Uh-huh. You know, where they would talk about taking Bible scriptures and incorporating yep. them into your prayers. And there were books on how to do that for yourself. There were books with sample prayers that would actually write the prayers for you that would be filled with scripture. And right. I remember being in intercessory prayer meetings where the more scripture someone used, uh-huh. the more authoritative they were. And yep. in that particular church, I was like the Bible man. I uh-huh. quoted chapter and verse all day long. So yep. my prayers sounded Awesome, yeah. <laughs> but nobody and everybody thought, man, he's so spiritual. Yeah. Nobody knew that behind closed doors, mm. my prayer life sucked. Yeah, I, I hated, mm-hmm. I hated the fact that, and I prayed all the time, but I hated it. Yeah, because it was out of obligation. It was out obligatory. Of exactly. It was something I felt like I had to do. Yep. And as we've been coming out of the box for all these years, mm-hmm. more and more, I'm realizing. In the same way, as, as we talk about scripture, where you don't write the letter or text or email when you're in the same room with the person, mm-hmm. you also don't do a lot of other things. Like when I'm with my wife and and I'm comfortable and there's an intimacy between us that goes beyond, you know, <laughs> your first date of holding hands and awkward conversation right. and all of that, when you're in that place... You don't have to do all of these things to get attention, and at times you don't have to speak at all. Right. You can speak in broken sentences where, you, and it's like instantly, like I can I can say three words, mm-hmm. and my wife know where I'm going with it, and me not even exactly complete the sentence at times. She's had to learn to do that. It's kind of annoying. I'm I'm kind of an <laughs> annoying person to live with in that way. I'll start a sentence and then I'll move. I think it's my ADD. Oh, look, there's a bird. Yeah, or a squirrel. Oh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, I think there's something about that where yeah. as we as we understand the heart of God mm-hmm. and understand that he's not all about dot and I's and cross and T's, although he's also interested in the details, but just not yeah. in the anal retentive way that we are. Right, right. And when we start to get a hold of that, it's like, wow, I can be comfortable. Mm-hmm. In the presence of God. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be jumping through hoops and right. and being like the 450 prophets of Baal who were cutting themselves and dancing in circles. Exactly. I can actually just relax. Which, if you think about it, and we did an episode one time called Christian Superstition, and we talked a little bit about, I don't remember all that we covered in that episode, but we talked about the fact that so much of our religious practices are really just superstitions. Yeah. The way yeah. that we pray, the way that we, you know, schedule quiet time in the morning or whatever. Mm. Or, I mean, I, I have honestly, I've been at, at, in points in my life where I feel like the reason that something didn't happen that I prayed for was because I must have said it the wrong way in my prayer. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. <clears throat> well, you know what? Again, we'll go back to the analogy of us as parents. I might instruct my child to say please if they haven't said it very nicely, you know, if they haven't put please on the end of a request. You know, if Hannah says to me, Daddy, get me some applesauce, and I say, get me some applesauce, please? 
I might correct her in how she says that, but you know what? While I'm correcting her, I'm also getting the applesauce out of the fridge. <laughs> exactly. You know, because the point is not that, well, you didn't ask right, so I'm not going to get it for you. When I do that, when I say that as a parent, if I if there are times when I actually act that way, that's just wrong on my part. It doesn't even feel yeah. right to me yeah. to refuse my child just because they didn't ask the way that I think that they should. Yeah. But, you know, and and Jesus tried to clarify a lot of that by just saying, when you ask for stuff, just believe you've already received it. Yeah. Because it's yeah. yours. Yeah. You know, your father's going to give you good gifts. He's going to pour his spirit out on you. There's no reason to question any of that. There's no reason to feel insecure about it. Mm-hmm. You know, the scripture uses the phrase boldly approaching the throne of grace. Well, you can't boldly approach if you're worried about getting your eyes dotted wrong and your T's not crossed, you know? Or or even your eyes crossed. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> It makes it really hard to walk up to the throne with crossed eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and don't try to dot that T. That'll just mess you <laughs> that's up. All, that's always a bummer right there. Yeah. That'll always get you in trouble in the throne room. <laughs> like it kind of starts to look more like a J maybe or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you know, it really is. It really is kind of. It's like we can stand on this side of it. Yeah. And see the ridiculous nature mm-hmm. of some of this stuff. Yeah. And I think that's why you and I, it's like, as we talk about, like in this conversation we've been talking about scripture, it's why I think we're getting to a place where scripture is not, is not as determinative for what we believe about God as it once was. And that doesn't mean right. that we don't that that we don't put stock in scripture or that or even that we don't believe scripture is inspired it doesn't mean either of those things mm-hmm. it just simply means that because we have the spirit of god living on the inside of us right there is there is a sense now in which we trust ourselves yeah we trust ourselves to get it right and yeah. when That's we encounter that genocidal passage in the old testament or that passage that seems awful racist or, mm-hmm. you know, all, all of these, or the passage, the passage that seems, you know, like it's dissing women or disempowering women. Right. Um, that's why when we come across those things, instead of wrestling and sweating over it, it doesn't mean that we won't study it out. We won't try and understand it. It doesn't mean that, mm-hmm. but it just means that we're not going to let that screw us over in the interim period of us not understanding it. Right. It means that we're going to go with our hearts. Yes. If my heart is telling me God is good because God can't be any less nice than Jesus. Right. God's got to be at least as nice as Jesus. Mm-hmm. If we, if we'll go with just a simple rule like that, yep. then when we come across that passage, even if we don't completely understand it, we won't let that override what we already know in our hearts to be true. Yeah. We let our heart determine our response to God and trust trust God that if there is an answer to that, he'll give it to us. And if there's not, we're not going to sweat it. Right, right. No, I, I think you're really, you're you're definitely articulating what I'm feeling too, Ray. And, and that's a great way to put it. And I, I know that that sounds wrong to a lot of people because, you know, the Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and all this stuff. And so how can we possibly trust our heart? Again, we're talking about a living, organic, forward-moving relationship with a being. Mm. We're not talking about 
a law, and we're not talking about a letter, mm-hmm. and we're not talking about something carved in stone. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a relationship. And you and I have used the analogy before about if someone were to write me a letter or give me a letter and say that it's from my wife, I would be able to tell very easily reading that letter if my wife actually wrote it or not. Yeah. Because yeah. I know my wife. So I'm I'm at the point now where it doesn't bother me to read a passage of Scripture and go, hmm, that doesn't sound like God. He was having a bad day that day. Yeah. Whoever was writing that, <laughs> yeah. he was kind of pissed off and took it out on the text. And and what bothers people so much about that is that it sounds subjective. Oh, I, I just accept the verses that I want to accept, and I throw out the ones that, you know, I, I put myself above God by deciding what's inspired and what's not. That That is all indicative of missing the point, in my opinion. Can, can I just say that life is subjective? Get over it. It is. It is. It is. I mean, if you if you don't want subjectivity, right? then you need to go ahead and move on to the next world because yeah. <laughs> in this world, the only point of view we have is ours. Yeah, We've got to get past this idea that there's a God's eye point of view because if right. there is, we don't have access to it. Yeah, it, We're not objective observers. We're involved. Yeah. We have... We have a prior assumptions. Right. We have vested interest at times. Yeah. You know, and we, as long as we're honest about that, that's not the problem. Yeah. The problem is, is when we think, you know, Jesus said your sin, he told the Pharisees, your sin is not that you don't see. Mm. It's that you don't see and you say you can. Yeah. Right. That's where, that's where the sin is. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's a great point. And so it, it really is for me about moving more toward that, that organic relationship yeah, and, and not trying to even define it necessarily. You know, I just, it's interesting because you look at the things that upset Jesus when he was on earth. It always has to do with religion and it always has to do with, and by that, I don't mean, you know, okay, I'm anti-religion now, but it, it has to do with people getting in the way, either in their own way or in the way of someone else, getting mm-hmm. in the way of just knowing the Father. Maybe maybe it's like Jesus was against hurtful religion. Yeah, yeah. Religion that hurt, that hurt you yep. and that hurt other people. Because what religion always tends to do, Ray, is put a separation between you and God. You know, and you and each other, yeah. And, and you right. and each other, exactly. It always divides. Religion always divides. Jew and Gentile. Uh-huh. Yep. And and it even, I think, over-divides us and God. Yeah, yeah. Because Absolutely. if you think about it, I mean, this is, we, we read the story in Genesis of Adam and Eve. And again, to me, it, it doesn't matter whether you, you can look at it literally or you can look at it as a metaphor. Either way, it tells the story of what happened with humanity. Yeah, And to me, the lie that the serpent says is not so much about changing what God said. It's in convincing Adam and Eve that they were missing something that they already had. Yeah. They already had communion with God. They already had the breath of God in them. They already had his image. Yeah. They were like him. Already. Yeah, he said, you'll be like God. Well, that wasn't a lie. The only lie was they already were. Exactly. Exactly. 
And so I think the whole impact of sin on the human race hmm. is not so much about the bad things that we do. It's that we continue to perpetuate this lie that we are distant from and separate from God. Mm, amen. And we are part of him, really. I mean, it's the whole it's the whole secu- secular sacred divide. Yes, yes. That really is the lie. Yep. That it is really is the, the lie. lie. It's the deistic idea uh-huh. that God's out there and we're in here. And yep. if we're going to have any interaction with him, we somehow have to talk him into coming down yeah. to bless us, whether that's through prayer, through singing too fast songs and too slow songs, right. exactly. whether it's through reading scripture intensely to have him <clears throat> fill our mind with his presence. Yep. However we want to say it, yep. it's, it's hurtful religion that teaches us that God is separate from us. And I think, Ray, that writings like the book of Ecclesiastes are full of the despair that comes from believing that lie. Hmm. You know, Ecclesiastes, to me, it, this is it's one of the books that really started me down the path of going, if Scripture is inspired, what does that mean? Because hmm. Ecclesiastes is full of a lot of misconceptions. The writer of Ecclesiastes writes from a very desperate, not hopeful point of view. Hmm. And he basically says, we don't even know what happens after we die. We don't know if, if our spirit goes down or if it goes up, or if it just disappears. You know what? Screw it all. I mean, that's basically yeah. his take yeah. on it. And, he's, he and so when he says, you're God in heaven and here I am on earth, so I'll let my words be few. That's not a wonderful worship song that he was penning. Okay? <laughs> you played that one a time or two, haven't you? <laughs> I have. And, I, and I, I've probably told you the story of when I got convicted about that song. It was right in the middle of me leading people and singing it. Hmm. And I, the words came out of my mouth, and all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute. Hmm. That's not truth. That's not at all the relationship that we have with God. You know, You know the irony here, Steve? Is that, and and maybe as we're talking this out, I'm just getting a different vision of this altogether. Mm-hmm. Maybe the truth lies somewhere in point and counterpoint, because if you think about it, you've got Ecclesiastes on on the one side, mm-hmm. then you've got a book like Deuteronomy that's on the exact opposite end of the spectrum from right. Ecclesiastes. Yeah, and the whole message of Deuteronomy is if you're good, good things will happen to you, and God will bless you. If you're right. bad. Bad things will happen to you and evil will befall you. Yep. Which is exactly the lie on the other end of yes. the spectrum. It's like, you know, when Jesus told those guys uh, that he said, do you think that the people, the, the tower right. that fell on the people in Siloam, do you think they were any more evil than any of the rest of you? Yeah. Do you think that this befell, you know, came, came upon them because they were such horrible people? Right. So it's like, maybe the problem is we've picked narratives. Uh-huh. That we're wanting to follow. We've got some people that are Ecclesiastes people that like to focus on what they like to call being real. Right. right. Which, is oh, usually, yes. which is usually a pseudonym for being negative. Yes. Right? And, <laughs> Have you and, and I talked about that before? Because that's one of Christie's of my pet peeves. It, it, it really is. Oh, I mean, it's like, goodness. well, let's be real. Yeah. But it really just, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, shady language for let's be, yes. <laughs> let's be negative. Yep. But then on the other end of the spectrum... <laughs> You've got the people that I used to hang around with, the Word of Faith people. Right. 
that love the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and 28 is like uh, their Magna Carta yeah. for how to live a prosperous life because, right. oh, if we're just goody two-shoes, God's going to bless us. Yep. You know, and, and, if, and people that are evil. And that's just as much a lie yeah. as Ecclesiastes. Exactly. I believe and, and then you've got the same thing. You've got Job, Job. and Proverbs. Yep. You know, you've got Proverbs that's all about if you follow these 10 basic rules of being a good person, yep. good things will happen to you. And you got Job saying, that's a bunch of crap. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And some people are Proverbs people. Some people are Job's people. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is they're both wrong and they're both right. And the balance is found somewhere in between. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And, and it, you know, and again, that, that's part of the problem, I think, is how we have approached Scripture. Yeah. That we have turned it into, uh, you know, okay, this is what this verse says. Therefore, I can take that verse to the bank and know that it means that. And it doesn't matter what any other verse says. You know, like I'll give you an example from my own life. Uh, as as I've been very open about on this uh, podcast over the last few years, I, I'm in my second marriage. Both Christy and I were divorced before we married each other. I thank God so much for this marriage because it has been an amazing blessing. We just celebrated nine years. I've got a little bit of catching up to you, Ray. Whoop, whoop. But, <laughs> but um, when I was going through my divorce, I had a lot of Christians and I use that term somewhat loosely, throwing a lot of garbage in my face with mm. scripture verses mm. and talking about, well, do you have biblical grounds for divorce? You know God mm. hates divorce, blah, 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 blah. And basically the implication was it doesn't matter what you're going through in your home. It doesn't matter what you're going through in your life. As long as you stay married, then God will bless you. <laughs> so like nothing else mattered as long as I didn't cross that line of, unbiblical divorce. Well, hmm. here's here's two problems, Ray, that I'll outline with that view. One is the fact that when people talk about biblical grounds for divorce, and I think I may have mentioned this to you before, they'll take the words of Jesus that unless you divorce for reasons of adultery, uh, um, unfaithfulness. Sexual immorality yeah, thank or you whatever, for, yeah. Yeah, for, then, then you cause your wife to commit adultery if she remarries. Uh, so basically, like, unfaithfulness is the only, you know. And then you have Paul comes along and says, well, but if you're married to an unbeliever and they choose to leave, then you're okay. Then you're not bound to that marriage any longer. So people will lump those two things together and say, that's biblical grounds for divorce. Well, the problem with that is Jesus apparently missed Paul's point because... <laughs> Jesus didn't take Paul 101, did yeah, he? Yeah, Jesus said there's only one reason for divorce. Here it is. Paul comes along and says, yeah, there's only one uh, plus this other one. <laughs> but we just flatten that out. We don't even take the, the the reality that there was a passage of time there and that they were not spoken at the same time. They weren't written at the same time. You know, So you have this whole faulty method of coming up with biblical grounds for divorce. Anyway, then I also came across this really interesting passage, and I think it's in Ezra, but I can't remember off the top of my head for sure. But oh, was, there's a favorite book. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it was somewhere in that whole, like, returning to Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple thing, I think, if I remember correctly. It's been a long time since I've looked at this. But anyway, yes, the Bible says that God hates divorce. But we run across this passage where God says, you know what? All those foreign women that you married, you need to now divorce them. God actually commanded them. Mm -hmm. to divorce the wives because they had supposedly married them 
outside of his will. Or or at least that God in Ezra did. Yes, right, exactly. Because, so I mean, going, that, that whole passage is, the book of Ezra seems to be about, about as um, great a place for a person who believed in segregation yes, or a member exactly. of the KKK right. to, uh, you know, I mean, you've got like, that's about as good a passage as there is to practice racism. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, but again, that was never discussed in terms of "quote unquote" biblical grounds for divorce. Yeah. yeah. You know what? What if? What if I really felt like my marriage was outside of the will of God to begin with? Then maybe I'm right in divorcing this woman. You know. So it's yeah. because of the way that we've made scripture the the rule of law, so to speak, and made that the the definition of what we believe God is communicating to us, we continue to get, our, to get ourselves tripped up in these faulty interpretations and bad methods of interpretation. Because I, I've just basically come to the conclusion, Ray, that you're never going to make all the pieces fit. Yeah. Well, I, don't, and, I don't think you can. And I don't know that, that we're necessarily supposed to, because right. at the end of the day, if if we... If we're going down this road that, hey, some of the Bible, God didn't say what they put in the mouth of God. Right. If, if, if we can look at it as there's a bunch of narratives, especially in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of different characters in, their, in those narratives, mm-hmm. and sometimes one of those characters' names is God. Right. <laughs> if we can kind of come to it with that view that, yeah. you know, that there's... Uh, there's the God of the text and then there's mm-hmm. the real God. Right. Right. And, and sometimes the text bears a resemblance and sometimes yeah. it doesn't yep. because these are, you know, God, God inspired that text sometimes yeah. as much to be a mirror to ourselves, to show us our own tendency to use the name of God as a rubber stamp to, right. to uh, endorse our own violent behavior or our own sinful behavior <laughs> to show may, maybe there's, there's as much use of scripture in negative examples yeah. as there are in positive examples. It's kind of like, you remember when Paul told Timothy, he said, all scripture is useful right. for reproach, for rebuke, for instruction, for correction yeah. of righteousness, all those things. Uh-huh. He wasn't saying that all scripture is equally true, or right. that it's all equally valid. Right. He was saying that it's all useful. It's all useful, exactly. I, I, can, I can use... I can use that passage about the Canaanite genocide uh-huh. in the book of Joshua. I can use that to say, wow, we can really Mishug. endorse anything with yes. the name of God. And it can become something that generation after generation, so that yep. the American, the Western frontier was conquered in the name of the Canaanite genocide. Right. You know, or the uh, Protestants killed Catholics because they could call them the Amalekites and uh-huh. it made it okay. When, when I realize I can, I can get it extremely wrong mm-hmm. and do it in the name of God. Yep. That's a huge lesson. It is a huge lesson. And so I would sometimes say scripture that, can be used both ways. That is the true essence. I think of the commandment not to take the Lord's name in vain. Exactly. Is it has nothing to do with people casually saying, Oh my God, when they're surprised about something. Right. It has everything to do with putting God's endorsement on stuff that isn't of God. 
writing checks against God's bank account. He never yes, wanted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're writing checks that your God can't cash or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And boy, that's, that's the truth. <laughs> God, God said, but God, I told them, you know, that's it's right. like, it's like uh, when Jerry Falwell was on that news show and he said, and it was him and Jesse Jackson debating right after the Iraqi war started. And, oh, and Jesse yeah. Jackson was saying, we shouldn't have started this war. And Jerry Falwell said, we need to go and hunt down the terrorists and blow them all away in the name of the Lord. Oh, I could just hear God saying, I didn't endorse that. Check. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw a cartoon one time. This was way back when I was in high school. I think so this would have been like the late eighties and it probably had to do with Jerry Falwell. Cause you know, he was real big at that time with the moral majority and everything. I think, uh, but anyway, this cartoon showed a preacher in the pulpit saying, you know, God hates when you misrepresent him. And the voice from heaven says, yes, I do. <laughs> I mean, like, you're representing me, misrepresenting me. But I think uh, that that's the thing, Steve, is we've, we've, I think we got to get to a place where, and, and you know, this episode we've been, we've been saying that this was like a review. It's really only a review of a couple of basic ideas. There's a lot more yeah. things that oh, yeah. have changed for us, but these are really foundational things in that. It is. Yeah. I think we could say our understanding of scripture, mm-hmm. how we understand the role of that in the believer. Yep. And then the idea that you and I have become more and more comfortable with trusting our own hearts mm-hmm. to follow God. Yep. That right. we've that we don't feel mm-hmm. like we have to find a verse mm-hmm. or that we have to um, sear our conscience or however you want to say it right. in order to follow God, that we're going to follow yeah. God and we're going to trust that if there's something in scripture we don't understand, mm-hmm. we'll put it on a shelf and we'll say, well, you know, it's possible they got it wrong or it's yep. possible that I'm wrong and God's going to fix it. But yep. I can't go against a, the revelation of God I have in Jesus. Right. And B, my own heart. Yeah. That, I mean, what did, what was the promise of the new covenant? That the law would be written on our hearts. On our hearts, not, exactly. Not these, not, not this law as in, don't do this, don't do that, but, but that God's spirit would come into our hearts. Yep. And would be the presence that could discern where we needed to go, what we needed yeah. to do, what we needed to stay away from. Yep. And, and Paul said, you know, the the letter kills, but the spirit is the one who gives life. Yeah, yeah. If we trust the spirit, which is what you and I are saying, that mm-hmm. the scripture's valuable. Yep. But it's not the it, it's not God. Yeah. I almost feel like we have turned at least the New Testament, but but really in a way the the Bible as a whole into like the Christian Torah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's just it's become our our own written law that we hit people over the head with and used to cause more division and more separation. And, you know, I I think that a big part of it is understanding the voice of God. You know, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. I I think there's a big part of it where we just have to learn to understand what, when we hear stuff, like we're talking about knowing if our wives wrote a letter or not, if it's handed to us by somebody else. Mm -hmm. We know our wives' voices, and and by voice I don't necessarily just mean what the audible voice sounds like, but what is the, what's the type of communication that comes out of them? You know, what what does my wife talk about, and how does she express herself? And if I see something that's expressed differently, I'm going, you know what? That I seriously doubt that's my wife. And if it is my wife, then there's something about my wife that I've not known up to this point. 
And so we learn to hear the voice of God and understand what, what his communication sounds and feels like. And secondly, we have a spirit within us that testifies and, and in a sense, confirms and mm. affirms what we hear. So that when I hear something, I go, you know what? That doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, yeah. Like I finally got to that point with eternal conscious torment. For years, I held on to it blindly, just mm. believing, well, that's just the way it is. You know, who are yeah. we to question God? And then I hear it now, and I go, that doesn't add up. Mm. That just doesn't add up. You know, when you have a shepherd, because you look at the metaphors that Jesus used, and, it, you know, it's so ironic, Ray, because people, I've heard people talk about the metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep, and they go, see, the point of that is that we are stinky and dumb. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm exaggerating. That's, an, a little bit, that's an Ecclesiastes person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they they think the whole metaphor has to do with the the fact that we're sheep. No, the whole metaphor has to do with the fact that our shepherd is a loving shepherd hmm. who isn't satisfied with 99 percent success. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I mean, 99 percent that's a great grade on a test in school. But when he's got a hundred sheep and one of them's missing. He's not resting until he's got all 100 back in that fold. He's an overachiever. Yeah. And so, you know, if you see that kind of of uh, person hmm. in our Father, then when I start hearing people quote passages that make it sound like he's going to throw people into a lake of fire for eternity because they didn't accept what he already paid for or whatever phrase you want to put on it you know either we owe a debt and it's been paid or we've been forgiven our debt whichever way you want to put it either yeah. way we're off the hook right but then no because i don't accept the fact that he did that for me he's going to put me in a lake of fire for eternity and there's no chance of escape for me i'm just left there to roast and think about what i've done hmm. and i hear that and i go no that is not the father that i know you know, you know, the irony, Steve, is that you and I, I think I can speak for you when I say this is probably that, <laughs> that you and I were both as we were raised with that mentality. Mm -hmm. I think there were probably different times for both of us when hell would offend our sensibilities. Yeah. But we would override that yep. because we had been taught yep. what God's word says. Yep. So therefore it meant, okay, I have to bow the knee of what my heart's telling me. I have to bow the knee of my sensibilities mm -hmm. and say, okay, God, not my will, but yours be done. Right. And I think what I'm hearing you say is we're getting to a place where we're going, it doesn't matter that there's proof texts right. that you can espouse that view from. Mm -hmm. We're saying, no, it can't be right because it doesn't sound like our father. It doesn't. Right. Just like you know the voice of your wife, just like yep. you know what she likes and doesn't like, it doesn't sound like our father. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And and it's it's not necessarily, Ray, that we jump to the conclusion that, oh, that verse is absolutely not inspired, or, oh, that verse is right. wrong, or I'm just going to cut that passage out like Thomas Jefferson. It's It's more, like you said earlier, being willing to put that verse on a shelf and say, I don't have an answer for that verse right now. Or at least to say, I must be misunderstanding something about that. 
Yeah, yeah. Not not that it says what I've been told it mean what it says, and therefore I'm wrong in my other view. It's that no, there must be something that I'm not getting about that because. And and here's the bottom line, Ray. This I I kept having this thought as we were talking about this, and I want to bring this up. The bottom line, really, when we're talking about knowing God, is all about love. Mm-hmm. Understanding that He is the essence of and the best example of love. And when we know that, mm-hmm. then we have to interpret everything in light of love. And I do not believe for a moment because there's no good reason to believe it, that justice or holiness or perfection or anything trump love in the character of God. Yeah, yeah. Because I, we, we, we put all of our human baggage on that. We go, well, if he's holy, then he can't be around sin. But it, that's not true. It's yeah. just not true. I, I think our problem, like with, with this whole um, proof texting thing and what we're talking about with getting a verse here and there and using it to define our whole vision of God. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think the conservatives on the one hand, the the one side of the pendulum, they are so far underneath the text mm. and bowing before the text right. that they can let it override their conscience because right. to do anything but to do that would be in their minds an affront to God and would, right. to, and would be to exalt them above God. I think you've got the liberals on the other end of the pendulum that are standing over the text mm-hmm. and saying, you know, we're we're going to judge the text and we're going to say no to this and no to that, and we're only going to pick the things that fit us. You know, right. we're not going to ever be challenged by the text. We're right. always going to challenge the text. Yeah, and I think hopefully where we're getting to is we're putting ourselves maybe you could say either within the text or in dialogue with the text. Mm-hmm. So that we're saying, I, how I, here's how I think about it. It's like my relationship with my mom now. Uh-huh. You know, growing up when I was a small child, I was completely underneath her authority. Anything mm-hmm. she said went. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I bowed before whatever she said I had to do. And it, it didn't matter if it was, you know, if my mom said, no, you can't go to that friend's house today. I couldn't go. It didn't matter that it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh-huh. It's just that she made the call. And then, and then you become a teenager, and you think that you're over your your mom and dad, right? You know, and you always know better than them, and their opinions completely out to lunch, uh-huh. and so you turn into the proverbial liberal. And maybe the reality is, maybe a mature adult is like now, as a man in my late thirties, I look at my mom, and I don't feel underneath her, and I don't feel above her. I feel like because she has my best interest at heart and because I know she loves me and because I know that she um, has went further down the road of life with more experience than I have, Mm -hmm. then when she gives me an opinion, it doesn't mean that I'm going to automatically bow before it, but it also doesn't mean I'm going to automatically reject it. Right. It means that I'm going to be in dialogue with it and I'm going to hearken to her voice more than I would an average person because I know because I know of the love she has for me. Right. And so I'm going to give it more weight, but it doesn't mean it's inerrant. Right. It yeah. doesn't mean that it's without the possibility of fail. It just means that 
I'm going to give it more weight. And maybe that's our relationship with those kind of passages as we say, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to automatically override my conscience, but I'm not right. going to automatically dismiss this passage either. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to listen to what it has to say, but at the end of the day, I have to stand before God and give an account of my own choices. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a healthy way to put it. I, I don't know that I would have any disagreement with that. But I think the the caveat to all of that is that if we think that the answer is in resolving all the conflicts that we found with Scripture, then we're missing the point. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I that's think you're right. That's the part that that I've been finding more and more uh, of a reality for me, especially in recent months, is going. You know what? I don't even have to wrestle through that. Because yeah. I'm not sure that that's the point, that that's the the focus that we're to have. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've got to, at some point, I've got to be living out what I already know. Mm-hmm. And and that all needs to be motivated by love. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it, it it's just so weird, right? Because I think where a lot of my shift has taken place is not even the need to be right about stuff, hmm. but just the need to learn how to love. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, some people hear that and they're like, Oh, it's all just kind of, you know, hippie, squishy, wishy. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it really, I, I think that it is more significant than that. I think that there's a need for the church to get its mind and eyes and focus off of this book. And to start looking at the world around them. You know, it's it's like the, and we've done a couple episodes dealing with the subject of homosexuality. It's obviously a very controversial topic in our in our culture. I think a lot of it is driven by the fact that we're trying to say, well, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Well, that raises so many questions in and of itself about how we're approaching those passages. And I just recently watched a, a YouTube video. Maybe you've seen it, Ray. Maybe a lot of our listeners have too. I think it's kind of gone viral. And I don't remember the the guy's name, but it was a young guy, maybe 20, 21 years old. Or he might have even said he was 19. I'm not sure. Uh, was speaking in a, I think it was a Methodist church, and spoke for over an hour on the topic of what what does the Bible actually say about homosexuality. He himself is a young gay man. Hmm. And yes, he was trying to, in a sense, win people over to his side of the argument. You know, one could say that as they looked at it. But what I saw more was someone who was willing to say, let's really look at these texts and look at the support for or against a particular interpretation of them. Hmm. And so he very calmly and very systematically um dealt with all of the texts of scripture that even come close to addressing the topic of homosexuality. Hmm. Now I finished watching it and I'm going, okay, he made some really great points. I would have to go back and very carefully attempt to refute them if I didn't want to buy into his arguments. But the bottom line was he was presenting it in a way that was non-adversarial. There's no reason for me to respond to him or anyone like him in any kind of adversarial tone. Even if I disagree with their conclusions. 
Yeah. And and he raised some really good points about how we have misused some of those passages of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, there's there's some reality to that, and we have to be willing to look at that. But that requires us to put down our sword, as you were saying in the title of the book earlier, to to be willing to, and isn't it ironic that, you know, Paul says <laughs> the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we have turned that into the Bible. Yeah. We have, I mean, I, I participated in sword drills as a kid where we'd have yeah, to look up verses. Yeah, me too. You know? <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't believe at all that that verse was referring to the Bible. But at any rate, we have to be willing to step away from that and say, okay, let's start first of all with what do we know about God and what do we know about love and what does love look like in this situation? Hmm. Hmm. Because if I can approach the topic of homosexuality with love, I'm going to be far less inclined to be very cold and detached in my dealing with the text, if I even deal with the text at that point. Well, and at the end of the day, one of the things that I think to myself about that particular topic is I don't, I don't have homosexual feelings. Right. So therefore, I don't know that it's really uh-huh. my place to even wrestle with that argument. That's a great point, and I because I think I agree you know, with you. Yeah. I mean, you know, if it's not something, and I, I don't say that to shirk my responsibility, right? Um, I, I don't mean it like that, and I don't say that to that. That can sound very um, condescending, and I don't mean it that way. What, right. Like, I can see how somebody would go, "Oh, well, lucky you. You don't have to struggle with it. Well, I have to deal with it every day." You right. know. I I empathize with that person, and so please hear me out. I don't mean that in any kind of condescending or any kind of way that would seem like I'm just trying to, you know, that I don't care. And I don't for the record, it a, didn't sound that way to me at all. Okay, good. I, I don't mean that from a place of uncaring at all. I'm right, just simply so. saying what I mean by that is why do we have all of these people that are so wanting to ensure that people know that homosexuality is a sin? Right who don't themselves struggle with those feelings or, yeah, yeah. or even to say struggle or don't have those feelings. Right. I mean, if, if I don't, you know, I don't need to study all of these things out about, you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, gosh, I, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth a hundred ways. And I feel like I'm going to, no matter which way I go on this. No, I, but, I think I hear you. Let, let me help you out a little bit. Are Are you saying that, from from your perspective, you feel like it's a, it's a little bit arrogant to say, I'm going to come up with the I'm going to tell you what the answer is for the problem that you have. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what I'm trying to say. And and here's my thing is, I'm not even so sure it's a problem. I don't right, exactly. Yeah. I, you know, but my thing is, my thing is, it's not. It, you know, Jesus said, get the speck out of your own eye before you start pulling two befores out of someone else's. Uh, vice versa, actually. But yeah. <laughs> or yeah, yeah. Get the yeah. Sorry, get the two before I hear now. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> you know what I meant. I did. Yep. You did. Yep. I'm glad you did. And I pointed out that speck, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> That's because you were sitting there pulling that two before out right now. Uh-huh. Steve is taking a break to clean up all the blood. But anyway, That's right. <laughs> um, that that's a, it's exactly what I'm trying to say. What I mean is by sticking my foot in my mouth, I'm at a place, Steve, where I'll be honest with you. I don't know whether or not to even call it sin. Right. 
I mean, I don't, I don't know that I would even call it sin anymore, but I don't, in so many ways, it's so, I feel like for me to fight that battle Mm -hmm. is wrong because Mm -hmm. I don't, I'll get perfect example, perfect example. It's like you and I have both, we've both adopted children. Right. And I can't tell you how many people I've heard that have made disparaging comments Mm -hmm. about different ways that the foster system operates. Right. That, that aren't involved at all with the foster system. Exactly. When I used to work at the Christian bookstore, and I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but when I used to work at the Christian bookstore, I had a lady come up to me one time that I was friends with, and she knew that I had, that I was a foster parent. And so she began to talk about, um, a homosexual couple that were also foster parents at the time uh-huh. yep. and how horrible it was mm-hmm. that DSS would have the audacity yep. to have gay foster parents. Yep. That was just such a horrible thing. <laughs> and a, th- there were two huge problems I had there. A, the people that she was talking about were my friends. Friends. Yeah, exactly. So I whether or not I believe they were in sin, I'm like, you need to you need to back off a little bit, sister. Yeah. But B, the other thing that really, really perturbed me was the fact that she was saying this as a person who was standing outside of the system completely yep. uninvolved with the forty to fifty children that were in that county in foster care at that time. Yep. If you are going to say something about gay people adopting. Yeah then the first thing you need to do, forget the whole issue of whether or not it's right. The first thing you need to do is you need to go get your foster license and right. start bringing some children into your home because you have absolutely zero moral authority exactly. to diagnose what you see as a problem unless you're willing to do something to fix it. You know, how dare those people over there help those kids that I'm not helping? <laughs> exactly. How yeah. dare those people who have absolutely no ulterior motive, right? take these children. And, and, and here was the irony, Steve, is the kids that they were bringing in their home uh-huh. were the kids that other people didn't want. Mm-hmm. This particular couple, they weren't That's even right. looking to adopt. They were just trying to help out kids. Yep. And so they were taking in kids that were a little bit older, that mm-hmm. people that were adopting usually didn't yep. want, yep. that they knew would end up going home. And I saw there, we were, we were, um, respite care foster parents for this particular couple. And so we had their kids in and out of our home. Oh yeah. And we saw their hearts. We saw how they were pouring out themselves. We saw the hell that they were going through to try and give these kids some normalcy. So to see someone come in and be so flippant Uh about that really bothered me. And it didn't matter at that point whether or not it was a sin. It was the fact right. that I think the greater sin, if that was a sin, exactly. the greater sin is that you're there judging someone when you're doing absolutely nothing to help. I agree with you. And and again, this is, you know, I started to make this point earlier and we got kind of sidetracked, but. Sorry. <laughs> no, oh, no, 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 no. I don't mean that. But again, what, what was, what were the things that upset Jesus the most? It was that kind of religion. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so. The people who were crossbreeds, the people who were theologically heretical, the people who weren't even Israelites, when those people came to Jesus, he took compassion on them. Mm. The people Mm. who were quote-unquote sinners, you know, he would go have dinner with them in their house. He would let them touch him. He would touch them. You know, all of this, 
all of the boundaries that religion draws, Jesus crossed. Hmm. And the people who thought that they were honoring God, Jesus had very little, if any, tolerance for because yeah. they were the ones who were creating, like he said, you, you go to the ends of the earth to make one convert, and then you make him twice as much a son of hell as hmm. you are. Gee. I mean, that's pretty strong language, but I, I, I think I understand his point because I feel that way myself sometimes. Steve, when I watch it, it, this, the, the tone of, you know, we've got to convert these people so that they stop living these awful lives, and then we bring them into our churches and we turn them into religious people themselves. As you, as you say these things, it's just mind-boggling to me how clear and obvious mm-hmm. this is, what you're saying is. It wasn't clear and obvious for me at, at one point. Yeah. But it's like right now, yeah. it is so clear and obvious yep. that the dividing line between bad religion yeah. and good religion, mm-hmm. the kind when I say that, you know, the kind that visits the orphans and right, widows, exactly. et cetera, that the divide there is so clear and it doesn't fall. That line doesn't fall mm-hmm. where we have been taught in conservative evangelicalism or even hyper-liberalism. Right. The line doesn't fall where we've been taught. Yeah. I would guess by most definitions, I probably am closer to liberal than conservative these days. But Yeah, me too. Me but too. But I, I agree with you that it's somewhere in the middle. And I and I, I, I don't know. I, I still even question saying it's in the middle. I, I almost feel like it's on a totally different spectrum yeah that that's the thing steve i think it's i think it's like yeah i mean liberal and conservative it's like you well everybody wants to say they're walking in the you know that they're, right that they're balanced <laughs> yeah that they're fair fair and, and balanced, balanced yes. right and yeah. and the and, the and it's indicator so obvious that to everybody else that they're not <laughs> right i mean the indicator that you're not fair and balanced is when you have to tell when you have to tell you're somebody fair you're fair and balanced it's like if you ha- it's like i was watching a show the other day and one of the lines on it was you know if you have to tell someone you're good you're probably yeah. not. Yeah. You know, and I think I think that's what we're saying is it really is on a different plane. It's not it it, it it's not it's both and and it's neither. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mean that that's that's the irony about this whole thing. You can't thing. get much more subjective than that. <laughs> I mean, exactly, but that's that's what yeah. we're talking about here is yeah. relationship relationship is by definition subjective. Yeah. Because it, you know, the root word of relationship is relate. Mm. You know, if I if I'm in a relationship with someone and it's unique, it means that I relate to you differently. I mean, you're, you know, you and I are great friends, mm-hmm. and I relate to you differently than I do to my wife, right, or to my sons, right. It doesn't mean that it's better, it's worse. It's right. just different. Oh my gosh, it's so funny you say that because just the other day, Hannah, who is almost seven years old now, she asked me, do you love me or mommy more? Mm. And mm. I said to her exactly what you just said, Ray. I wow. said, I love you differently. Wow. I said, it's not that I love one of you more or less. I love you differently. You're my daughter and I love you as my daughter. She is my wife. I love her mm. as my wife. Mm. It's It's not even on the same spectrum. Don't you think right here, I think what we keep talking about and not to set ourselves up as some, you know, bastion of maturity, but that's right. Cause if we, uh, have, to, if we have to tell people we're mature, we probably aren't right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But you know, we keep talking about like 
spiritually immature versus spiritually mature. Yeah. And it seems like one of the immature things is when you're doing that, when you're making comparisons, do you right. love me more or do you love them more? Uh-huh. That that's one of the indicators of spiritual immaturity. And yep. one of the indicators of spiritual maturity is this idea that I don't have to be in competition with anybody else. Right. Because I have my own unique place in the world. Yep. And my own unique connections with both God and others. Yeah. So I don't have to, I don't have to step on you to get my slice of the pie. Right. I don't have to push you out. It's if God is unlimited in power. Exactly. Then I don't have to take power from you to have more. I can just go get more from God. We can both have pie. We can both have pie. Which I like. I like pie. <laughs> pie sounds good right now. Yeah. I saw somewhere the other day those, uh, it was somebody's like screen name or something. Pie are not squared. Pie are round. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, when you're talking about that comparing ourselves, it reminds me very much of, of the story of Jesus and Peter after the resurrection. Mm. And he tells Peter, go feed my sheep. And Peter goes, well, what about that guy over there? Mm. Mm. And Jesus basically says, none of your business. Mm. I'm wow. not talking about him. I'm talking about you. You know, wow. I mean, wow. it's, it's not, yeah, we're not in competition. In, you know, you know, great example is just five years of podcasting mm-hmm. in five years of podcasting. You know, we've encountered all sorts of other podcasts right? and, and people from other podcasts uh-huh. and your temptation is to begin to compare yourself right. to how other people are doing, right? whether it's likes on Facebook or uh-huh. comments on a post or whatever your yep. the interactions that you have. It's like, if you're not careful, you can quickly find yourself comparing yourself with others. Yes. And it's like that completely, not only is that a complete sign of a lack of love and a lack of maturity. Yeah. But it completely takes your focus off what God's given you to do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if God's given a hundred other people to do the exact same thing that you and I do. Right. That actually, that doesn't matter one iota. It doesn't matter if God's given the same guests, the same mm-hmm. audience, the same. It doesn't matter. Right. We're only to do what we're to do, and we're to bless other people in what they're doing. Exactly. I'm thankful that there's other people out there yep. that are getting these truths out. You know, sometimes you get a little, you can get a little perturbed because you can think, well, they got that from me and didn't give me credit. Exactly. Or, I was just thinking about that when you were you talking. You know, yep. Or like they, or they, they heard that guest here and and. Yeah. Then, you know, or whatever. You could start thinking all these stupid, stupid, right. crappy things right. that when you stop and really let yourself think about it, you're going, what the heck am I thinking this for? This is stupid. Exactly. But it's so easy to do. It's so yep. easy to begin. It's like Paul says, uh, Paul talks about in First or Second Corinthians, you know, you compare yourselves with yourselves. <clears throat> yeah. And this is what causes you to fall. You compare right. yourself with yourself. If we can just focus mm-hmm. on what God's given us to do. Mm-hmm. And this is why in our, in what we're talking about with homosexuality, <coughs> this is why it's so important because that is, that's not in the realm of experience for either you or I. Right. So for me to get on my on, on my microphone and say, here's God's truth about homosexuality. Right. It's just completely arrogant. 
Yeah. Yep. I think what what we can and should be <clears throat> focusing on and speaking to is how do we treat people who are homosexual? Yeah. Yeah. Now there you go. Because that's a topic that you and I do have to deal with. Yes. You know, I mean, crying out loud, I work in theater. It's not like you know, I've never <laughs> met a homosexual in my life, you know? <laughs> I mean, I literally can say some of my best friends are gay. Yeah. And yeah. so I have the, the issue that's relevant for me is how do I treat them? Yeah. What, what do I do? I make their homosexuality an issue. Yeah. Or do I not? And and for me, I'm choosing not to because it's not an issue for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. I think speaking to the things that are in our experience and the things that we, uh, I don't want to say that we're qualified because that, that word has other baggage associated with it, but, yeah. but that concept, the things that we have a right to maybe talk about uh, and and not... I like what you're saying too about not competing with others and not worrying about, you know, did they get that from me and didn't credit me or whatever, because that, that goes back to, and this is another area that has really shifted for me in five years is the notion of, should I ever be holding on to my rights? Should I ever, you know, saying, well, I need credit for that. I'll give you a good example. I mentioned to you earlier today, Ray, uh, and, and I won't give the names here, but uh, got contacted by a producer for uh, a fairly well, uh, a very well known, <laughs> yeah, in the evangelical uh, world, yeah, a, a preacher. Uh, this is a producer for his radio broadcast, and uh, this producer had heard one of my songs on YouTube, one of my piano arrangements, and wanted to use it in the broadcast. And so he wrote to me to get permission, and I wrote back and I said, "Yeah, absolutely, you have my permission to use it," and. If possible, would you mind in some way, you know, crediting me and, you know, here's a link to my website and stuff like that. But the the point was, if possible, you know, if you can't yeah. credit me for it, I'm not going to stop you from using it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just not, that's not important to me to make sure that, well, you can only have it if I get credit or, yeah. or you know, I could have even, I guess, charged them for a sync license and. And I'm just, you know, that's not really the, the issue for me because I'm in a position to be able to just let them do that. And so in a sense, I'm I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal here. You know where I'm coming from. Right no, now, I know totally what I, you're I'm, saying. I'm using this as an example of an area where I, I'm willing to give up my rights and yeah. say, you know, absolutely go for it. Um, I think we need to, we need to as as Christians and as a whole in the body of Christ, we need to get way better at giving up our rights. Yeah. And well, we're, and we need we're to so busy demanding that. them that we don't have right, time to exactly. give them up. Exactly. And, and if you think about it, isn't that really what's driving the whole homosexuality debate in America today? The, the whole culture about, wars. Yeah. It's, it's all about Christians saying, wait a minute, I, we have the right to have marriage defined our way. We yeah. have the right for our union to be considered marriage and not your union. And so, therefore, we're going to fight for the right to... Everything else that's said about it, in my opinion, is smoke and mirrors. It's all about claiming rights. Did, did you happen to? to uh, that. I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean. No, to no, no. It's okay. That, that's right. No. Nope. Did Did you happen to see there was a there was a feature on John Stewart uh, on the Daily Show? I think I think it was a guest host 
host that um, they had a woman. She's a comedian. I can't remember her name, but anyway, she <laughs> she interviewed a Christian radio host, oh, uh, no. a pretty famous Christian Matt Slick. That's who it was, Matt Slick, and uh, pretty pretty famous Christian evangelical radio host. And uh-huh. <laughs> she was interviewing him about the uh, about how he believed that. Christians' rights were being taken away in America, uh-huh. and she was juxtaposing. Basically, what she was doing is is playing into his hand of saying that homosexuals were taking rights away from Christians. Yes, and she made this hilarious—I mean, hilarious—video uh, where she took the things that he said about Christians' rights being taken away and juxtaposed it against actual people suffering, like. Uh, gay people that had been persecuted for oh, for wow, yeah. uh, their sexuality and all these kinds of things, uh-huh. and and ask him, hey, can you give me an example of when a Christian has been persecuted for standing up against homosexuality? And he's going, uh, uh, you know, oh, no. can't come up with it. And anyway, it just showed the ridiculous nature that the world can so yeah. easily see the yeah. ridiculous nature of a society in the majority of Christians Mm -hmm. that is complaining about not having their rights. Yeah. They can see it easier than we can. Exactly. Yep. And I think that's, uh, unfortunately that's true. It's kind of like you and I, Ray, we've both been outside the institutional church for a number of years. I think it's a lot easier for us to see the, some of the absurdity and some of the just nonsensical stuff that goes on in institutionalism that when you, when we were in the midst of it, we couldn't see Hmm. either. We Hmm. couldn't see it or we wouldn't allow ourselves to see it. And sometimes it's a willful blindness. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I think like you said, there were times in our past where the notion of eternal conscious torment and hell might have offended our sensibilities, but we chose not to Mm. allow it to. We chose Mm. not to listen to that. And so I think, and this is one of the reasons why I think that more than studying Scripture, more than, you know, debating about ancient texts and stuff, we've got to get out there and live the gospel. Because when we do that and we start to actually get to know people and we start to actually listen to people, instead of just trying to yell louder than them and mm. demanding our own rights to be heard and our own rights to shut them up, when we begin to actually live in a place of humility and love and relationship, things begin to look a lot different, and we begin to see the absurdity sometimes of our previous positions. You know, And one of the challenging things for me, Ray, and I'm just going to be really... I'm going to be real about this. I'm going to be blunt about this. Really. You're going to wax just, all Ecclesiastes on me, aren't you? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm going to get negative. No, no. But, <laughs> but the, the, the challenge that I have right now, and I'm, I'm very mindful of this in recent weeks, is that as, <clears throat> as we get to a different place in our journey, I have to be very careful not to ever become cynical and judgmental of the people who are where I left. Yeah, the people yeah. who are still back there on the journey because, and and it's I, I'm struggling with it. I'll be really frank. It's it's an area that has become a, a something I've got to really focus on right now and overcome because it's easy for me. Just I, I've gotten fed up with a lot of stuff, and 
I've gotten frustrated at seeing the same false arguments raised over and over again and the same stupid accusations made about how wrong I am to be outside the church and how, you know, uneducated I am in certain areas and blah, 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 blah. But all that to say, I've got to continually practice laying down my rights and saying, you know what, I'm going to choose not to take offense at this. I'm going to choose not to get angry or cynical or judgmental. I don't want to be that grumpy old man who talks about how bad everything else is, you know? Yeah. I just yeah. don't I don't want to be there. Well, I think I think that at the end of the day that's what it comes down to is just making a, a decision. You know, it's like <clears throat> that whole Philippians two passage. Right. You know, consider others more highly than you consider yourself. It's a you know, choice. Let, let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus, the mind that says I'm going to prefer you over myself. I'm going to prefer right. your interests over my own. And yeah. that's hard as hell to do. But it is. at the end of the day, if we want to imitate Jesus, if we want to walk into the life and love of God, yeah. that's the only that's where it's at. And you yeah. can't be you can't be using a measuring stick comparing yourself to others mm-hmm. and you can't be you can't promote your own agenda over the agenda of others and come away with that kind of love. And it doesn't matter how much scriptural knowledge you have. And it doesn't matter how much, um, how, how good you are at parsing the Greek and Hebrew. And, you know, it doesn't matter how, how, what a great orator you are. And it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. how, what your podcast statistics look like. And it doesn't matter if your blog posts get linked to by everybody. Yeah. All that doesn't matter. You know, you wrote a you wrote a blog a long, long time ago on theological musings. Uh, that was the it was a blogger's First Corinthians thirteen. Yeah, and, I remember that. And you know that that to me is so true. You know, mm-hmm. love doesn't doesn't compare its statistics with others. Right. <laughs> love yeah. doesn't look at the length of one person's blog as compared mm-hmm. to the length of mine. Love doesn't compare the comments between <laughs> between right. blog posts. You know, it's like, it's so, we, we live in a world mm-hmm. that that lives off the premise that there's only so much love and affection and respect and honor to go around. And right. so you better do everything you can to secure yours or you're not going to have any. And yeah. that means you got to step on everybody else to get it, then so be it. But at Boy, the end of the day... Lie. You can win the argument and and lose your love. Yeah. And if you win the argument, but lo- you lose your love in the process, does yeah, it matter? It no, it doesn't. I mean, if you if Paul said you could give your body to be burned, but if you don't have right. love, it doesn't mean anything. Right. Then, I, then I think he would easily say, <clears throat> if you win the argument or if you prove your point, uh, maybe yeah. this is a good way of saying it, if you prove your point, by running roughshod over someone else, mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter. Well, and that's why, again, I go back and look at, at the way Jesus treated people who were, by all accounts, wrong. You know? Yeah. I yeah. mean, like the Samaritans, their theology was wrong. They worshipped at the wrong place. And I'm I'm not saying they were wrong, but I'm saying that's how they were viewed, you know, by, yeah. by religion. And the Jews, you know, these Samaritans are wrong. They don't come to the temple. They, they go somewhere else to worship and and she asks the question the woman at the well asks the question of jesus who's right them or us 
And he basically said what you and I are saying. That's not the question. That's yeah, not the issue. No. It's not about where you go to worship. It's who you're worshiping and how you're worshiping. Yeah. And when yeah. you ask, when you get to that question, suddenly the mountain or the temple doesn't matter. And it's like all those, all, all those other questions are great in a company of love. Yeah. It's great to talk about parsing out things and, you yep. know, about arguments and ideas and all these things. It's great in a company of love, but yeah. man, it quickly can turn sour when yep. it descends into competitiveness and, you know, judgmentalism and all yeah. these, it, it quickly descends into a place where you go, gosh, you know, I just don't even really want to be here. <laughs> right. Right. You know, it's like, I don't yeah. care if you're right. I, it's yeah. like, I don't care if you're right. You're still wrong. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> I mean, and what, I've been that way. I've been that way yeah. so many times. I'm, I've exactly. been so right and so darn wrong all at once. Yeah, one of the hardest things to do is to walk away from an argument when you haven't yet proven the other person wrong. <laughs> and you know you can. And you know you can. Yeah. Or at least yeah. know that you want to or that you believe you should. Yeah, yeah. it's there yeah. there have been times where I've had to say, you know what? I I'm just going to respectfully disagree with you and move on because it's not worth it. Once you pass that point where love is not found. Yeah, you're right, Ray. It's you don't gain anything by winning an argument at that point. It reminds me of, of Jesus before Pilate, you know, what is truth? Right. Right. You know, Jesus doesn't, doesn't answer. Cause it's like, you know, <laughs> this, what's the point? There's not, yeah. there's not much, there's not a mutual love going on here. There's not yeah. a mutual sharing going on here. Uh, I'm not going to answer rhetorical questions. Like I've used the example before of, I was not brought up in a tradition that believed in infant baptism. Uh, And in fact, my tradition would go even farther to say that they believe those who practice infant baptism are downright wrong to practice it. And so it would never have occurred to me in the past to attend the infant baptism of a friend's child, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, hypothetically speaking, because I don't want to be seen as endorsing infant baptism, you know. But why can't we celebrate those things with our brothers and sisters who maybe differ with us? Yeah. Like why yeah. why can't I go along with that and and rejoice with them while at the same time not believing it myself, you know? And, and that's kind of, honestly, that's how I feel about the homosexuality issue. Is it, it really doesn't matter what I believe about homosexuality. I'm still going to treat my homosexual friends with love and be happy for them. You know, my, my support of you in your own journey doesn't necessitate that I endorse everything in your journey. I mean, right, right. it's just, it's just, it's, it's a wrong headed idea to think that if I somehow express love to you in the midst of our disagreement, that somehow that can be construed as me endorsing your side of the disagreement. It's just, it's not logical, but that's, that's what we've been taught. That's how we've operated in the church. You know, if I, Mm -hmm. if I attend 
the wedding of two men who happen to be my friends, then, right. oh my gosh, I'm endorsing what they're doing. No, you're showing love and support. Yeah. You know, is exactly. that, I mean, do I want to withdraw my love and support? If, if, if my sons were to grow up and be gay, mm-hmm. do I suddenly just, you know, get out of their lives and, you right. know, separate myself from them for fear that somehow they're going to misinterpret what I'm doing as endorsing them. Endorsing it's like, them. exactly. what's the greater sin? If I stay away from them, they might just take that as I don't love them. Hmm. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they might construe be... me staying away is the fact that uh-huh. I don't love them. We never think yeah. about that. No, we're worried about not supporting. And yeah. I, I mean, I, I received uh, about a week before my wedding to Christie, I received a, a rather harsh letter from someone that I would not have expected to experience this with. I'm trying to be very careful and tactful. Sure. The letter basically said, I cannot come attend your wedding because I don't believe that your divorce was legit. Wow. And my divorce had happened five years before. And they and they felt the obligation to tell you this. And they felt the obligation to tell me this <laughs> a week before my wedding. Wow. Bless their hearts. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, as we say. <laughs> now, this person could have just kept their mouth shut and just said, I'm not going to be able to make it to the wedding because it's too far away or not or even. Or just not said anything. Like, just, yeah, I'm just not going to be able to make <laughs> it. Kept it okay, to fine, themselves. Yeah. But they felt like they had to tell me. And I will be honest with you, Ray. It had the potential to really put a cloud on my wedding mm, wow. because it robbed me of some joy in that moment. Wow. And that person was, it was all in the name of, of their religion. You know, it was all wow. in the name of their, their belief of what was right and what was wrong. And they had to, you know, they could not endorse my, my wedding by attending it. And, that hurt. And I, I'll be honest, it's, you probably tell it still hurts a bit to yeah. this day. Yeah. Ironically, that person now acts like nothing's wrong. And I, I can't stand the elephant in the room. You yeah. know, wow. I'm like, I, I want to say to them, wait, do, don't you remember that you basically pronounced judgment on me? Mm. Mm. And now Man. you want to just pretend like everything's fine. Wow. You know, and, and Steve, there was a time when you and I would have seen Jesus in that light. Uh-huh. But, man, I just can't imagine him being like that anymore. I just no, can't I imagine can't Jesus going, I'm not going to that wedding in Cana because they're going to think that I endorse right. drunkenness. No, yeah. he's the guy making the, he's the guy passing the booze around. I know, you know? exactly. It's like, no. oh, they we, we can't have this. They only have water. Yeah. It's like Jesus is so, he is the antithesis. Of, mm-hmm. of so much that we have thought for so long. Yeah. He is like the anti, he's the anti-religion. I was going to say anti-religion. Yeah. That's what exactly the word. I mean, he's like too. the pill. He, he is, I mean, he's like the antibiotic for religion and some, oh, I wasn't sure what pill you were talking about there. <laughs> it's well, yeah, he, he, he I'd like say a, a lot of people would say he, he is a pill, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, the red pill, it's, maybe. <laughs> that's the truth it's it's just so bizarre because we can take something and someone that's so beautiful yeah and in a very short period of time 
we can turn him into something so ugly and so judgmental and mm-hmm. so the epitome of what hurtful religion is. Yeah. And it's just a shame that we can do that. Yeah. Yep, it is. Hmm. I think that's probably been, you know, there have been a lot of theological shifts for me in the past five years, Ray, but I think the biggest part of the journey that sticks out at me looking back over the last five years has to do with what we're talking about now, this notion of moving away from religion and moving into love yeah, and yeah. not worrying so much about whether or not everybody has the same right answers as I do, yeah. but worrying about how do I relate to this person? How do I show love to this person? Even if they, by my definition, would be unlovable or unloving in return. Yeah. Because again, love doesn't, love doesn't require love to be returned. Mm. Otherwise it's conditional love, but true love, true unconditional love loves even in the face of a lack of love in return. I'm trying to remember to myself on that. I'm trying to remember who it was. I can't remember who said it, but I thought, wow, this is such an amazing idea. They were basically saying that love can truly only be shown when it's not reciprocated. Like, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Like you, like it's not that's really, when it really shines. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's what Jesus said, you know, what is it if you love those who love you? What is it if you right. love, you know, because they're going to return. What is it if you give something to someone who's going to pay you back? But yep. I think it's John Caputo talks about the gift and he talks about for humans, he talks about the impossibility of the gift for humans mm-hmm. that for humans, it is impossible to receive a gift because we always, always, always feel the need to reciprocate. Right. We, we always like whether, yep. whether or not we buy a gift for someone else, whether it's a pat on the back, a hug, a kind word, maybe we open the door for them when we wouldn't have before, but we always feel this necessity to reciprocate mm-hmm. and the gift can never truly be given. It's yeah. not a gift unless there's absolutely no response on the part of yeah. the recipient. And love's well, the same a, way. It's not love yeah. unless there's absolutely no response. Love shines best. Well, it is love, but love shines right, best. Right, exactly. And it shows shines forth best, the yeah. best. Yeah. So love for enemies really is uh-huh. the only perfect love. Yes. And that has so much bearing on the whole subject of ultimate reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Because if God really loved the world, then he can't stop loving them just because they don't love him back or they don't accept his love. Or maybe his love can't even shine forth unless he loves those people. He can't claim to love unless he loves those people. Well, if you go that route, then we could say that it would be better for people to disbelieve for all of eternity and stay in hell so that he can look more loving. But (laughs) I guess you could go down that route. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was pretty but you get, warped, you get what it? I'm saying. It's like, you I do, I do. You, you can't, um, but why, white can only show up against a black background. It can't show up against yeah. a white background. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and in the same way, love can't really be shown forth unless right. it's on a non reciprocating person. Yeah. No, I agree, and I, and I think that's actually why love ends up winning in the end, because I think that ultimately, one way or the other, 
all of the rejection and all of the disbelief and all of the cynicism and anger gets uh, consumed by yeah. a love yeah. so that ultimately ultimately everyone comes around to see it yeah yeah you know i, I mean I, think, I just i don't think you can be loved for eternity and not at some point break down and say okay i i see that this truly is love well if you can then love's not the most powerful force in the universe yeah if if a, in my opinion the more right. I, the more i think about it if a single person can resist the love of God for all eternity, mm-hmm. then that person's will or hate or whatever you want to say about it is more Stronger. powerful yep. than God's love. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting, Ray, because in light of that, while we're talking about this subject, those who endorse or support the notion of eternal conscious torment in hell claim that doing so preserves the greatness and the sovereignty of God, (laughs) which I I find uh, ironically that it seems anytime somebody claims to be protecting and defending the sovereignty of God, it usually means that they're saying something negative. God (laughs) always comes out looking like a butthole when somebody has to pull out the sovereignty of God card. It seems like anyway, don't you think? It seems like it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It does. Well, man, we probably ought to wrap this up. I know I was sitting here looking at the time and I'm like, this might yeah. be the longest episode we've ever done, but it is our five year episode. Yes, it our is. fifth so, year anniversary episode. So it'll take people five more years to work their way through it all and sift through it. But pass me <laughs> another piece of cake. I thought we were having pie. Oh, that's right. Pie. Sorry. It was square, so I... I oh. <laughs> yes, pie are squared. <laughs> but I won't... <laughs> oh, goodness. Wow, it's well, been man, a great five years, man, and I am been. so looking forward to many, many more conversations with you, dialogue yeah. on Facebook and on all these things. It's just, we have such a great community of people that make up Beyond the Box. We do, and thank you to all of you who have been sending us messages. We, we've been getting more and more private messages and emails that, that honestly, from my perspective, just really encourage me because, yeah. uh, not not because we need to be stroked on our egos or need to be patted on the back, but it it is nice to know that what we're doing here is actually helping people and making yeah. people's lives richer, and. You know, we we continue to give you guys this podcast uh, as really our our gift because uh, we believe that we've received freely and we should freely give. Yeah. Um, but we, I, I just I love seeing the interaction that takes place in the community, and I love uh, the comments that are made that just remind us that that somehow Ray, even though you and I have taken some stands that are. Uh, in the eyes of many outside of our podcast would be highly controversial and highly uh, reproachable <laughs> in their mind <laughs> um, that the the way in which we are taking these stands is speaking louder than those controversies well and, and I think and I think a huge part of it too Steve is that the interaction uh, the the dialogue that we're having has mm-hmm. become such a huge part of this community. Yeah. You know, that, that, um, 
you and I have this sense that the family of God is not authoritarian and it's not hierarchical right. and it it really is a egalitarian every man and woman and child standing mm-hmm. on an equal footing before each other and before God mm-hmm. and I I love seeing that played out in the dialogue um yep. and just seeing people really just sharpen each other and question each other and kick around ideas and um yeah I just really want that to continue. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting, Ray, when we first started this podcast five years ago, it was out of a desire to include people in our conversation. And, yeah. you know, we said, man, if, it would be great if we could invite other people into these conversations. And that's exactly what's happening. And the conversations a lot of times have a life of their own without you or I being involved, which I love. Yeah. Because, number one, I can't keep up with it all. And yeah. number two, that that tells me that the community is genuine and that it's people aren't here because of Ray and Steve. It's right. Right. It's because of Christ. And right. I, I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, we, we are certainly, we've said this many, many times. This was for the longest while. One of our disclaimer dudes, favorite sayings is that we are not the experts on this stuff. We don't have the ans- all the answers, but we're thinking through out loud and we're, we're working through stuff together and challenging each other and challenging ourselves. And ultimately what comes out of it is a lot of, I think a lot of productive dialogue. Yeah, I think so too. It's been productive for me because I tell you, I've, I've grown so much over the years through our relationship in particular, because I know you on such a deep level and have for so long, we spent so much time together over the years. Yeah, we have. Um, so a, that's been just so, so, such a formative thing for me. And then B just the interaction with all of these people from all over the world with different perspectives, with different life experiences, Mm -hmm. different places in the journey. It's been so stretching and so empowering for me to just see that what God's doing in the earth and how much I can learn from people that are further down the road than me that are maybe um, just starting on the road. You know, Mm -hmm. we've been getting, We've been getting all this interaction from people that are everywhere on the journey. Yeah. And yeah. I'm finding myself learning from all of them. Yep. And yep. it's amazing. It's amazing. Well, and for those listening who don't know where this interaction is taking place, the the primary hub for our community interaction seems to be the Facebook page. And that's uh, uh, facebook.com slash beyond the box. <laughs> uh, yeah. Boy, I kind of blanked on that for a moment kept wanting to say beyondthebox.com our website which doesn't have as much interaction used to but uh, the Facebook group has uh, certainly surpassed that Uh, but if you'd like to interact there you can beyondtheboxpodcast.com I will say this we get a tremendous amount of spam on that website oh my gosh it's Uh, ridiculous yeah I try to sort through and find the legitimate comments but there's literally one legitimate comment for about every 4,000 spam messages I mean that literally. That's it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so you know, please bear with us if if your comment doesn't get approved, uh, because your first comment always has to be moderated. After that, once you're approved, you can compost freely. But if you, if you don't see your comment get posted, feel free to send us an email or or whatever uh, to alert us to that fact, and we'll find it. Um, you can email me at Steve at beyondtheboxpodcast.com. 
or you can email Ray at Ray <laughs> at beyondtheboxpodcast.com if you'd like to converse with us privately that way. Um, you can also find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash BTB podcast. Uh, although we don't use the Twitter feed very much at all. We generally post our episodes there and that's it. Uh, Ray, we've got a phone number too. People can leave voicemails for us if they'd like to. I always have to pitch to you on this cause I can never remember what it is. 626-24-NO-BOX. That's 626-246-6269. And if you're on the website, you can click that little call me widget and leave your name and number and our answering service will actually call you back. And Steve, I tell you one thing I would love, and this is just my own personal, <laughs> if we don't get this, it's fine. But I would love to see some of our listeners and our dialogue partners um, hitting that call me widget and hitting us up with some some voicemail messages that we could actually play on the podcast. Um, yeah, we need a few more of the announcements too. The uh, you know, hey, this is so and so, and you're listening to Beyond the Box podcast. Man, we need a lot more of those. If you guys, if you guys would like to be on the podcast, that just basically means at the beginning of the podcast you get to do an introductory phrase. If you would just call that number and say, "Hi, my name is." And you're listening to Beyond the Box. Or, hi, my name is Ray from Nashville, Tennessee, and you're <laughs> listening to Beyond the Box. So we'd love for you guys to do that because we really want to involve you in these episodes. Another yes. way that I know we've talked about in the past, Steve, mm -hmm. that we would love to involve you in these episodes is if you'll leave an idea submission, either write it on the, on the podcast uh, idea submission page or preferably if you would leave us a voicemail with your idea submission, yeah. it would be really fun to be able to play that on the podcast as an introduction to a conversation. And it's always fun to watch how Google tries to interpret the spoken, <laughs> the, the transcripts of the voicemails are sometimes very humorous. They're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we just love, we love having the interaction from you yeah. guys um, you know, one thing I think that would be fun, Steve, just for this fifth anniversary episode is in the comments section mm -hmm. for this, for this episode, either on Facebook or on the podcast website, if you'll just put how long you've been listening to us, oh, yeah. for, we would just love to yeah. hear from everybody. If you've never commented before, here's a really easy way to comment. Um, we're not going to, we're not going to spam you or anything. We don't, <laughs> we don't stand to gain absolutely anything from uh -uh. this. But it'd just be fun if you just put in the comments section how long you've been listening. Yeah, and if you want to as well, uh, let us know how you found out about us. Yeah, um, yeah. I know some of you have come through Google searches. You've been maybe searching for one of the authors that we've interviewed on the podcast. Or some of you have uh, been referenced to, uh, referred to us from other online forums. So uh, it would be great to find out some more about some of our listeners and uh yeah, I especially urge those of you who have never spoken up or commented to at least let us know how long you've been listening. You can go back to lurking after that. We'll let you be quiet after that. <laughs> but it, would just, it would be great to, to hear that. That's a great idea, Ray. And I think, too, in honor of our fifth anniversary, uh, we're going to give every uh, one of our past episodes away for free right now. No, no, Steve. <laughs> No, Steve, you mean they're going to be able to get them all for free? They could download every single episode for free oh just just because it's our fifth anniversary. I'm sorry. I'm editing this out. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since I played that card of giving our episodes away for free. So <laughs> that's always a fun one to pull out. Now, how long will that last for, Steve? When does this, when does this offer expire? 
until hell is completely emptied of all the unbelievers. <laughs> or the internet crashes. Or, one or yes, the other. Whichever comes first. That's right. <laughs> until oh, that's all awesome. things are ultimately reconciled to the Father through Christ. <laughs> hey, now we're talking. And then you won't need these podcast episodes anymore. That's right. And we'll find out how wrong we were about some things. <laughs> exactly. We'll get all of our theology corrected that day. I'll tell you what. I no longer fear a father who will beat me up for being wrong. But I am positive that there are times when God sits up there laughing at some of the oh, stuff we say. <laughs> completely. I completely agree with you, brother. I mean, I think about so some of the stuff that my six-year-old pops out with when she describes <laughs> from her perspective how things look in life. And Christy and I look at each other and go... Is that really what she thinks? <laughs> That's, I could just picture the father doing that. Too. Is that really what they think? Oh, my goodness. You know, my, my, my three-year-old, my wife was telling me today that my three-year-old was talking about, he's been seeing all these things on cartoons about bones and skeletons uh-huh. and talking about the skeletal system. And he, he said something about, um, he said, Mommy, when food goes in my mouth, it goes down into my skeleton. And, <laughs> and you know, the 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 first reaction is not to correct uh, correct him or give an anatomy lesson, right? You know, yep. it's just simply to laugh and go. Now that is great. That's I, great. I yep. love that, and I don't want to lose that. And I uh-huh. think I'm like you. I think fathers are the same way. It's like, yep. oh Jesus, you know, this <laughs> yes. is kind of fun right now. You know, do we really have to tell him do the we truth? Have to because tell that's him really ex- funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's posted it on his Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. Well, Ray, this is, is Jesus me. one of those people that likes his own status, Steve? Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. That would be funny. Man, this has been great. I've really enjoyed talking with you, bro. It's been good to, to get back on the mic with you. And, um, it has definitely been a, a very enjoyable five years, and yes. I look forward to however much longer we can keep this up. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Th- thanks for being with me on this journey, Ray. And, um Thanks for inviting me on the journey. This podcasting was your idea uh, to begin with. You invited me along for the ride, and it's been fun. This has been this has been a mutual blessing for a number of years. You first yeah. invited me. I might have invited you to podcast first, but you first invited me to that very first breakfast wow. that we sat down years and years ago and started these conversations. So, man, I can't even remember our first one. I can. I can remember it very, very well. <laughs> what, what just just quickly before we, we go off the air here, uh what did we talk about in our first Well the first here? question first question I think you asked when I sat down, uh-huh. we were at the mountain house for breakfast. Wow. And you said you said, So, do you think that uh how, how was it you said it? It was it was about Job and you said, So do you think Job was it that his prayers were answered? Oh my goodness! Are you serious? We went we went into this whole thing about the Book of Job, the very first conversation. Oh I my went. goodness! That's and the next funny. week, I was like, I got to go back for more. This is great. We're having fun. And from there, that's we we uh, we wore out our welcome at multiple restaurants we across did. Moon for the next number of years. <laughs> we did, and we met every week almost without fail for yeah. several years. Two, three, four hours at times. Yep. Yep. They'd have to drop us out for lunch every now and then. That's right. 
<laughs> there, I think there were a couple times where we turned around and ordered lunch, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be surprising. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, oh. It's, it's been great, bro. It has. It has. I guess we'll wrap this one up. Steve, yep. I love you, bro. It's, it's been an awesome too, journey, and it's not over. All righty. Let's, let's hop back on the roller coaster for another go-round.